This is Heisenberg. The purpose of Jesus was a kingdom on earth in the hearts of men. Rediscovering the kingdom will defy almost every concept you have about religion. The message of Jesus was a message of a kingdom from heaven on earth. That was the message of Jesus. Your thinking will be rearranged and your life empowered as Dr. Miles Monroe shifts the focus away from religion toward the ultimate issue, the kingdom of God. Jesus came to restore these kings who lost their kingship and their kingdom. Let us now join the seminar in progress. So please help us if you will. I am very excited about this, this teaching today because I believe you're going to appreciate more than ever before the tremendous amount of gifting God has given you. We're going to be speaking on this subject, discovering your personal kingdom leadership. Please take these notes. I'm going to give you some things to write down very quickly first. And I want to welcome all of our friends joining us around the world on television. Whatever country or nation you're in or city you're in, hotel you're in, we're so glad to have you. God bless you. And thank you so much for joining us on our program today here from the Diplomat Center in Nassau, Bahamas. I want to begin with a couple of statements you can write down, please. The first statement is, the original plan of God was to extend his heavenly kingdom on earth. That was the original plan of God, to extend his heavenly kingdom on earth. This was God's motivation from the beginning. But God set up a program to do that. God wanted to establish a kingdom in the seen world without him coming into the seen world or the visible world. In order to do that, his program was to create from his own self, spirit, a family of offspring who would be just like him, who would be his representatives on the seen world. And they would release, establish, and execute his invisible kingdom in the seen world. This is God's program from the beginning. The Bible is not a difficult book to understand. It has never been the plan of God to establish a religion. As a matter of fact, religion is man-made. The word religion comes from a root word which means to search. So religion is really only necessary if you are lost. Before man fell, there was no need for religion. So every activity of man in his attempt 
to try and find God, whether it is Buddhism, Islam, Confucianism, or whether it is Hinduism, Shintoism, or Baha'i faith, or whether it is Rastafarianism, or Scientology, or Unitarianism, or Atheism, they are all religions because they are all man's attempts to search to find something they believe they lost. Isn't it amazing that God solved the problem himself? Instead of him allowing man to spend the rest of his eternal frustration trying to find God, God made a decision. His decision was, I'm going to make it easy for you. I'll come and discover you. So God's program was never to form a religion. Religion is like an organized club created by man to satisfy his hunger to find God. And we give it different names. I used to be religious. I am not a religious man because I ain't searching no more. Anybody here in that position? Hello, somebody. Religious people haven't found what they're looking for yet. What I have is a relationship now with the one who I walked away from and who I abandoned. It was never God's plan, write this down, to have subjects, but sons. This is a very important statement. It was never God's plan to have subjects, but sons. The reason why this is a difficult statement is because whenever you hear the word king, the next word is subjects. That's not God's plan for us. God is king, but he doesn't want subjects. Thirdly, it has never been God's plan to have Christians. But citizens. God always wanted to have sons who are citizens of his kingdom. What we have done is become something that we created. As a matter of fact, uh, we have basically been tagged by pagans. The word Christian was first introduced in the book of Corinthians by pagans. Pagans named the believers that. And now we've accepted the pagan label and we're playing their game. I used to be a Christian. But today, thank God, I am a son and a citizen and an ambassador. I like that one. The Bible says we are ambassadors of Christ and heaven. The Bible names us that, but it never names us Christians. The Bible says, as many as believe in him, to them gave you the power to become what? Sons. The Bible names us sons, but never Christians. 
The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. The Bible never calls us Christians, but it does call us citizens. To be a Christian, you got to live up to pagans' expectations. To be a son, you got to be like your daddy. To be a citizen, you got to represent your country. And to be an ambassador, you got to represent your government. But to be a Christian, you got to measure up to the pagans who named you that. That's why most sinners would say to you, I thought you was a Christian. Because they got their idea of what a Christian is supposed to be. Because they named you that. Tell your neighbor, he talking to you. Tell your neighbor, today, I release myself from the burden of being a Christian. I'm going to be a son. Clap your hands and thank God. You delivered now? Delivered. God's simple intent and purpose from the beginning was to extend and establish his kingdom on this earth. And his simple strategy was to rule the seen realm from the unseen realm through the unseen man living in the seen body on the scene. Can you write that down? This statement is probably the most important statement I say all my life. Because this is really the essence of the whole program of God in the Bible. Let me say it again. God's original purpose and intent was to rule the seen, that's the visible world, from the unseen, that's the invisible world, through the unseen, that's the spirit man, living in the seen, that's the body, on the scene, that's the earth. So God wanted to rule the seen from the unseen through the unseen, living in the seen on the scene. Got the scene? So how was he going to do that? Well, God who is unseen would put his spirit in the unseen that is living in the scene that is on the scene. And he communicate from the unseen to the unseen, living in the scene on the scene, so that the scene could understand what God wants. And whatever God desires would be related to the unseen, manifested in the scene, on the scene, and therefore the earth will show what heaven is thinking. This is God's program. Still is, always is. So what we really have is, we have the king of the universe and the invisible world, Elohim, Jehovah Jireh, Adonai, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shiskanu, all the names you want to call him, Almighty God. You get the invisible king, and king is kunig. It means ruler or one who sets standards. The one who sets the standards for all things, he is the king, he is the ruler of the unseen world, and he's the owner of the seen world, and he's living in the unseen. He is invisible, God Almighty. He's the king. Everybody say king. king. I'm repeating myself for a reason. He's what? The king of everything. He's the king. He's the standard setter. He is the rule establisher. He is the judge of all things. He is the king. 
You cannot be a king unless there's something to king over. In other words, you can't rule nothing. Are you with me? In order to be a king, you got to have something to rule over, to set standards for. So what God did, before anything was, there was just God, because everything that is, was made by God. So God, there was a time when God wasn't king, because there wasn't nothing to be king over. He was just God, Elohim, three in one, by himself. Standing on nothing by the corner of nowhere. And this God, his nature couldn't help itself. Because the first word introducing him in the Bible, the first word that describes him is this word, creator. God doesn't create. He is creator. So creating is a natural result of being a creator. So God created because he is creator. He didn't create so he could become creator. He created because he already was creator. Creation and creating was his natural expression. And so God created everything. First the invisible world and then the visible world. And so automatically he became what? King. Because he now has what? Something to rule. Whatever a king rules is called his domain. Everybody say domain. domain. Write the word down. So you got a king, but you got what? A domain. You can't be a king without a domain. You can't be a president without a country. You can't be a prime minister without a nation. So you need something to rule. By the way, that's why Lucifer has a problem. Because he don't own nothing. Y'all talk to me, man. So he can never be a king. That's why nowhere in the Bible is Satan ever referred to as a king. He's simply an unemployed cherub. So if Satan is ruling your life, that's illegal. If Satan is ruling your finances, or your physical body, or your family, or your home, or your neighborhood, Satan is illegal. You know, it's incredible that God created his own domain. So what do we have now? We have a king with his domain. Everybody say king, king. domain. King. Say king domain. King. Say it fast. King. Faster. King. Faster. King. You're good at that, aren't you? The automatic result of a king with a domain is a kingdom man, a kingdom. That's what the whole thing is about. It's about a kingdom, simply the relationship between a king and his domain. And the domain includes the seen and the unseen. The Bible says all things were made by him and without him was not 
anything made that was made. And therefore, whatever exists, he made it, he created it, and therefore it is his property by right, and therefore it is his rulership domain. So he's the king of all domains. It is his kingdom. And this is the, the, the heart of the whole Bible, the kingdom. Now, look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, if you will. It says, let us make man in our own image and in our likeness, and let them have what? Dominion over what? The fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Do we need to set this up now? We need to? Uh, can we just hold back? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the word of God says he created you in his what? Image and his likeness to have what? Dominion. Why did God create you? Say it loud. Do you see worship in that verse? Do you see singing in that verse? Oh, how about this one? Do you see heaven in that verse? You were not created for heaven. That's where you came from. God didn't need another rose in his garden. You ever heard that? Matter of fact, we say God kills people because he needs another rose in his garden. God ain't got no garden. Ain't no, God ain't hot up for people in heaven. The purpose why God created man was very clear. God said, look, I needed somebody to dominate a real estate caller. That's what I needed. I didn't need nobody in heaven to come sing for me. I got some angels there, but much better than you guys. I don't need to hear no chorus. I need someone to rule for me. Tell your neighbor, this sounding good. You were created to be in charge of a territory. So he said, let us make man, why? To have dominion over what? Fish, birds, read it there, cattle, plants, and everything that is in the earth. So God's plan was to create a creature that would have dominion or rulership over a domain called earth. That's clear to God. It ain't clear to us quite yet, but it's clear to God. And so God is very committed to what he's doing, and every human being was created, therefore, to dominate this planet. So trapped in every one of you is a dominion spirit and a dominion mandate. That's why you go crazy when you are dominated. Now you're supposed to dominate the plants, the Bible says, the birds. You're supposed to dominate the creatures, the animals, and all that's in the earth. Could you imagine a human who's supposed to dominate a plant being dominated by a plant? Tobacco leaf, cocoa leaf, grape juice. How dare you tell me that you are a man with hair under your arms and big muscle, but a leaf from Colombia runs your life. I'm not impressed at your dignified walk in your high heel shoes and your fancy purse when a piece of leaf 
from Cuba runs your life. Oh, I appreciate your executive. Look in your 10-story office and you park your car in the back in the garage and go up in the elevator. But when you get to that big mahogany desk, there's a little bottle in the shelf that runs your life. And at 11 o'clock, it calls you, come drink me now. And you bow to that bottle. Could you imagine having your life ran by a tree? Now, I doubt any of you in this setting have your lives being run by grape juice. Your life is not ruled by some leaves from Cuba or some plants from Colombia. I don't think you, you all are more dignified than that. Uh, your lives are run by a more sophisticated tree. See, the saints got another problem with Bush. I heard a lady one time giving a testimony in a church here in the Bahamas, and she said, he woke me up this morning, he started me on my way, set my feet on a rock to stand, and I want to pray my strength in the Lord. Y'all pray for me, amen. And Holy Ghost said to me, she lying. This woke her up this morning. This added her on her way. You see, because the Lord said, you know, when it was prayer meeting and it was raining, she didn't go. But when it was raining, it was time to go get work for this. She got up in the rain. Well, it's drafty tonight, you know. I can't go to prayer meeting. But no matter how drafty it is when it's time to go to get the stuff, Dominated by the thing you're supposed to dominate. No wonder why the first thing that happened in the church when it was born in the book of Acts, the first meeting they had, the first meeting they had, the people came and bought this and threw it on the ground and put it under the apostles' feet. Why? Because that used to rule them. Now they will rule it. You know, you're not supposed to work for money. Money is supposed to work for you. When you work for money, you're poor and you'll stay poor. People who got an understanding of money don't work for money. They let money work for them. If you go after money, money keep running. But if you send money somewhere, it comes back finding you. That's a revelation. So God gave man dominion over all these things and made him the king of the earth. The word dominate means to govern, to rule, to control, to manage, to lead, to, to have authority over. God gave this man all this awesome stuff. And then man did something dumb. Now let me tell you something, friends. God never gave us ownership. He gave us rulership. Write that down. When somebody gives you uh, ownership, then you know, they are not responsible anymore. But if they give you rulership, they are still responsible. That's why God set up a qualification. He said, if you obey me and don't touch that tree, you can manage this planet all you want, as long as you want. It's yours. So what God gave man was what I call a management contract 
of earth. He gave man a lease agreement. The Bible is very clear. It says, the earth is still the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It, it was never yours. He gave it to you to, to manage under a lease agreement called dominion mandate. And therefore, what you do with the planet, you've got to give an account back to the owner. And how you use the planet and what you do with it, you've got to report back and he will judge us according to how we agree to run the planet. Turn with me, if you will, to a scripture that I constantly refer to. It's found in the book of Psalm, Psalm 115. Everybody turn there quickly, please. Tell your neighbor, I was born to rule this place. You know, whenever you see yourself being under control by the earth, you find yourself having high blood pressure, physical problems, because you're not built to be ruled by this earth. Your body rebels against it. Even your physical body becomes sick when it's under pressure of this earth. Look at Psalm 115. Young people underline this. This thing changed my life as a teenager. I never forgot reading this, and it changed my whole attitude toward myself and toward this planet. Here's what it says in verse 14. May the Lord your God increase both you and your children, and may you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of what? Heaven and earth. Now the next verse is awesome. It says, the highest heavens, that means, the highest means the ones above the, 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 the stratosphere and the hemisphere. We're talking about the, 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 the invisible, uh, the, 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 the invisible world where God lives. He says, the highest heavens belong to who? To the Lord. But the earth he gave to who? To man. Now, the Bible is telling you, you know, directly, look, heaven ain't yours. I'll fly away. God say, where? I don't want you up here. This ain't your territory. <laughs> Let me tell you something. God made arrangements to make sure you never stay in heaven. Because if you ever stay in heaven, God's word would fail. The Bible says, just like the dew falls, and just like the rain falls, so my word goes out of my mouth and comes back without, not without accomplishing what I sent it to do. In other words, if God says he created you to dominate earth, then God is very clear that you cannot stay in heaven. If you do, his word failed. His purpose for creating you was what? Very clear. We ain't got to guess about this to dominate earth. So that's God's word for you. His purpose for you to rule the earth, to dominate the earth. He has no question in his mind about that. So what we have created is the religion of heaven and God has a mandate of earth. Everybody want to go to heaven and God don't want nobody there. So he made arrangements. God made arrangements to make sure whoever dies now will leave heaven and come back. So he made arrangements for your body. It's called the resurrection. So God says the earth belongs to you. He gave that to us. 
That means that we are the managers, we are the supervisors, we are the rulers, the governors, we are the leaders of the planet. And whatever happens to this planet is our responsibility. That is why God says he can't even loose nothing here or bind anything here because he himself is not authority here. He says whatever you bind on earth, you can't bind nothing in heaven, that ain't your territory. He said whatever you bind on earth is what? Bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, heaven looses. In other words, heaven can't do anything on earth without the permission or access through those who God gave authority to. So if something is not happening in the earth, it's because we are not allowing it to happen. Is that clear? This is why, see, a lot of people say to me, but Pastor Miles, if God is sovereign, and he can do anything he wants to do, why pray? I mean, if you pray and God can do what he wants to do anyhow, then you might as well don't waste your time and pray. No, you see, if you don't understand the earth arrangement, you won't understand prayer. Prayer is constantly giving God permission to interfere in the earth because you're the one with the license. God could do anything but he can only release what you allow. Can I hear an amen? amen. Understandest thou what I say? That is why Jesus said, listen to his words. Jesus said, you know, he's talking to the disciples now. He says, you know, you guys don't understand. He says, men ought always to pray. Now, listen to his words, ought. In other words, ought implies Y'all are stupid. Y'all don't understand that if you don't do this thing, nothing happens. He says, men ought always, who's talking? The one who set the system up. Men ought always to pray and never stop. You ain't supposed to go to a prayer meeting, my friend. You're supposed to be one. In the car, at the gas station, in the food store, in the bedroom, bathroom, in the back of the yard, in the office, on the construction job, in the plumbing job. God says, you better keep on praying if you want me to keep interfering. John Wesley said it this way. He said, prayer is strange. It seems as if without God, we cannot, and without us, God will not. We're stuck. So if you don't like the conditions on earth, then start making arrangements through prayer. Can I hear an amen? amen. Prayer is not this, you know, this, 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 ooh, spirit. Prayer is business. Hello? You're doing business with a government from whom you are the ambassador. And prayer is the medium through which you get your facts to come through. And your email. Prayer is how you get your, your 
your flow of, 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 of information and, and resources to come from the government. And the invisible government of God has access through your faith to come into the planet through your authority that he gave you so that he can impact earth from the unseen. You can change your week this week by understanding prayer. Everything Jesus did was a matter of kingdom. He understood rulership. So he gave the earth to man. My friends, the fall of man messed the whole program up. The fall of man was a fall not from heaven, but from dominion. Write that down. Man did not fall from heaven. Am I right? Let me read your Bible. We didn't fall from heaven. So when we say the fall, we keep thinking we fell from heaven. This is important to understand. Man did not fall from heaven. The record written by Moses is very clear. Man fell from his responsibility of dominion over the earth. Satan did not say, Eve, if you pick the fruit, you'll fall from heaven. She said, if you pick the fruit, you'll be like God. Stupid request. They were already like God. By the way, the greatest weapon against anybody is self-doubt. I'm going to repeat that again because that's a little heavy. The greatest weapon you can use against somebody is to make them doubt themselves. Self-doubt has in it low self-esteem, low self-concept, self-misconcept, low self-worth, low self-value, because you doubt yourself. When someone doubts themselves, they, be they believe they cannot do what they're capable of. Satan planted what I call the, the, the idea of self-hatred. That's why this ministry is so important. Our mission in the world is very clear. Let me tell you what our mission is. Our mission is to take a follower and make them think like a leader. Why? Because they are. But the conditioning from their past and their culture and their, and, and their environment have made them believe that they are not what they are. No member of this church should ever take a job without the idea that when this is over, I'll be in charge. You don't go and listen. I'll never forget the meeting I had when I was in Malaysia. I went to a Sony company and I was sitting down talking to a multi-millionaire group. I mean, about seven, eight of these guys, all millionaires, multi-millionaires. And we were chatting and they were so happy to meet me because, you know, I was from the Bahamas and, and my pigmentation was beautiful and everything, you know. And they were excited to have me there in Malaysia. And we were chatting over the meal, I'm taking a break from the seminar. And one of them said to me, he said, do you know how I made my money? And he told me a story. I said, wow. He said, by the way, tell me this. Why do people of your pigmentation, any country we go into, we make money, but when we go there, we don't, we see y'all don't seem to quite break through. I said, I don't know. Tell me. He said, I finally figured it out. When I went to America, this guy from, 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 he, he was from mainline China in Malaysia, working for the Sony company as a consultant. He said, when I went to America, I noticed all the cities I've been through. Every time an Asian comes into the town, he ain't got nothing. But in a few months, he owned a business. 
And he says, and your people of your beautiful pigmentation, they've been there for a thousand years. And they own nothing. Keep, looking, keep listening to me. Keep listening to me. They don't own nothing. He says, and I tried to figure out. He said, because I know you all are hardworking people. He says, and after studying this for five or six years, I finally figured out. He says, you know, as I talk to your people, I finally figured out that we have different mentalities. Not abilities, mentalities. He said, the difference between us is, when we go into a city, we think differently. He said, for example, when you people go into any city, you go looking for a job. He says, Chinese never look for jobs. He said, when we go into the city, we go looking for a business. He says, even if we got a job, that ain't what we're looking for. We're just holding the job until we get the business. That's a good place to clap. You need to get a revelation. See, it all boils down to what? The kingdom mentality. If you believe that you're supposed to follow all the time, then follow on. And believe me, there's enough folks in the world to lead you. I decided years ago in Baintown, age 14, I decided, mm-mm, rule Britannia, rule Britannia ain't gonna rule this Britannia. <laughs> I determined years ago that ain't no queen was born to rule, born to rule over me. Ain't nobody born to rule over Miles. You ain't born, you can't be born good enough to rule over this good stuff. You ain't got what it takes. Only God could rule over this. Oh, I feel myself this morning. See, and Satan said to Eve, you are not like God. I'm coming here this morning to tell you and to tell you watching the television program that you are like God. God didn't make in the image of some dog or some monkey or some chimpanzee or any kind of these evolutionary ideas. He made you in his own. That's why I don't know. People say, you know, y'all got a rich church. Mm -mm, we just got a rich word. And when the word hits us, we put on rich clothes. Hello, somebody. And even if we're on the bottom and we come here, we start looking up, moving up, striving up. Why? Because all of a sudden we realize, we realize who we are. We are just like our Father God. I used to be a Bahamian. I had to get delivered from my own country. I am not a Bahamian first. I got delivered. I'm a son of God first, who happened to live. I'm in the Bahamas, it's blessed with the privilege of having me deposited on this little rock. And look what I'm doing with the rock, making it look a little better. Come on, praise the Lord, somebody. That's who you are. You ain't stuck into being a Bahamian. You are a child of God, a son of God, and you just happen to have a label that's gonna bless the Bahamas. Give the Lord another hand. You are somebody. Hallelujah, brother. 
Don't you go to work tomorrow with your head down and your shoulders droop. I want you to walk for the rest of your life saying, good morning, everybody. Son just arrived, father upstairs, anybody need help? Come on, praise him, somebody. Say amen. Amen means let it be to me. Boy, God says my kingdom belongs to you. He gave us his kingdom over the earth. What an awesome responsibility. So no plant should rule your life. If you are smoking cigarettes, stop now. Don't let a leaf run your life, man. Don't do it. And you young people, don't even let no one encourage you to let a cocoa leaf become your master. As a matter of fact, you ain't got to fight against not taking drugs. That's below you. And it's supposed to be there, below you. You're supposed to dominate that stuff. Paul says, I will become mastered by nothing. I've seen people who had a good life and then they started drinking. They call it social. <laughs> and they started smoking and they call it peer pressure. And they started taking drugs. And they call it fitting in. What a tragedy. Then there are those who are controlled by sex. Lust. And some of you still fighting with that one. How can you be controlled by an industry when you're supposed to rule the world? Some people are controlled by their genitals. And it's dirt. And it gets quiet. <laughs> Take charge. Be the king. Even the king of your genitals. Oh, that's a good place to say amen. Y'all missed it. If someone say, let's go to bed, and you ain't married, say, hold it a minute. I can't go to bed. Why? I'm a king. <laughs> what? I'm a king. So what's that got to do to go to bed? Well, I rule everything. What do you mean? I rule my panties and my drawers. Look at me funny. <laughs> JC. <laughs> yeah. Boy, pastor, something else. Now I, we got to talk straight to these young people too. And the old people. I know that no member in this church, no member in this church comes here. I know that. I'm talking about other people in other churches. No member in this church comes here and says, I love you, Lord, and they're sleeping around. I know that ain't happening. 
I know ain't no lesbian in here. I sure, guaranteed, ain't no homosexuals in here. I know that. Sure that. No question about it. Because we got kings in here. Does the Lord speak to you? Fix it. We are kings, man. Dominion. You know, I was thinking about this fall the other day. And the Lord said this to me. I wrote this down. He says, Adam didn't lose heaven, but a kingdom on earth. God said to me, he committed high treason and lost control of his rulership responsibilities on earth. That's what Adam did. Adam surrendered the management contract for earth to Satan. Adam abdicated his throne of dominion and rendered all men slaves to the employment of Satan. He who was supposed to have been deployed became employed. He who became, who was supposed to be ruler became the ruler. He was supposed to be the, the victor became the victim. He who became, who was the king became the subject. So when man disobeyed God's command, he lost not only sons, he also lost a kingdom on earth. God lost both. That's why when Jesus came, God in the flesh, he tried to explain what happened to us. He had to use a story we could understand. So he said there was a father who had two sons. And one of them decided to go his own way, take what he wants, and go. And he ended up in a pig pen eating pig food. And one day he came to himself and, and said, my father is a king with servants. I will go back to my father and I will ask him, I know I've messed up, so just make me a servant. At least I'll be eating some good food. And I'll be at least in the house. But let me be a servant. But isn't it great? Jesus' story is right on. He says, but when he came, as soon as he saw him down the road, he didn't reach home yet. The father took off running and grabbed him and kissed him and said, my son who was lost is now found. And before the son could even explain where he'd been, and that's how God treats all of us. He don't want you able to be who you sleep with, what you drink, what you smoke, anything. He said, look, I just have to, you come, 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 come. I'm so glad you're home. He says, kill the fatted calf, get the ring, get the rope, get the shoes. Let's have a party, party. He said, let's get down. Why? My son who was lost. God is, God is so excited that his son came home. The problem is we have accepted the contract that the son wanted. Not the one the father gave him. We want to be servants. Of the Lord. That's what a Christian is. A servant of the Lord. 
Christ says, I call you no longer servants, but what? Friends. Why? We're family. You know, Christ is your Savior by, by circumstance, but your brother by natural genealogy. Kind of heavy. We understand him and admire him and we embrace him more as savior than as big brother. He is your big brother. You were made in his image and he is the first begotten of the father. He's the first sample and all of us are made in his image. So he is our big brother. That's why in Hebrews chapter 1 it says that, chapter 2 rather, it says that he who is the son also doesn't think it weird or strange to call us brethren. Because we're family. That boy wanted to be less than family. He wanted to be a servant. His mentality was still damaged in the pig pen. He came from an environment where he couldn't believe that he could become a son again. I've come to shout the news to every one of the six billion people watching and listening, wherever you are, that you are a son. You know, if you lost and you're my child, you're still my child. The loss doesn't cancel that. And so it is with every single human. That's why the kingdom gospel is good news. It's good news because it is a, a message sent by daddy to all the children telling them that they can come back into the kingdom and be sons again in their full right. That's why the first thing Christ asked for was not a robe. He didn't ask for, for the shoe first. He asked for the ring. Because the ring was the symbol of sonship and authority in the family. And if you're a son, then what? Then the robe is yours. And naturally, the clothes, all the closet is yours. And then all the food, the calf, everything is yours. Get, you got to get the ring figured out. And that's what Christ came to do. Christ came to put a ring on everybody's finger. Just put it back on. So everybody's back in, in fellowship with the Father. And let's get on with the house. Today, Paul stirs my heart in Romans 12. And I want to wrap up with this. We can pick up here next week. Paul says this in 12 verse 2. He says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Who was he talking to? He was talking to Christians. Yes, believers like you all. Hmm. <laughs> he said, look, even though you're born again, even though you're saved, you got a mental problem. He says, you got the Holy Spirit, but you don't have the spirit of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you got the anointing, but you ain't got the spirit of the anointing. And I'm talking to myself too. I had to fight with this. I, I was a Christian and I was complaining about Christianity. Anybody do that? 
I say, man, yeah, I love God and everything, but boy, why is so life so terrible? I thought God was a good God. Why is everything bad happening to me? Why can't I make it in life? I mean, all these wicked people moving ahead, taking everything that belongs to me, and I'm praying and believing and fasting all day, and I ain't got nothing. God, what's wrong here? God said, ain't nothing wrong with them wicked people. They're just your sons and daughters who don't know the, the father yet. Something wrong with you, even though you're saved. What's wrong with you is you saved, but you're mentally damaged. So Paul is writing this to the Christians, and in verse 1 he says what? I beg you. Oh, the word beseech. Look at the word there. Beseech. He means I beg you. Paul was begging them. Paul says, I beg you to present your body as a living sacrifice. Put your body under management. Stop drinking and stealing and smoking and lying and all the drugs. He said, well, manage your body first. Get that in order. Why? Because that's your legal house. If you lose that, then you can't do what's coming next. You can't serve God if you've got to keep puffing on a bunch of smoke. You can't fulfill a big ministry or build a big business if by 30 you're sick and got cancer in your lungs. I beseech you, brethren, to bring your body under management. Bring your body under control and make it a living sacrifice. Man, this is tough. You know, a sacrifice is usually when they took the lamb and they tied up its leg and put it on the top and the lamb is kicking and kicking and then they do something to help him out. They cut its throat. And the blood comes out, they catch the blood, and they take it into the, to, 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 to the altar. But the lamb is burned up or cut up and then burned. And the lamb is a dead sacrifice. Paul says, no. He said, see, we can't tie up and kill you, so you've got to be a living one. When your body want to go back into stuff, he said, take your body, he said, come here. See, you can't cut it off and kill it, so you've got to keep, bring it under control, see. Don't call your old boyfriend no more. You know he ain't good for you. Cut that thing off. And stop sleeping with your ex-husband and your ex-wife because they're unmarried. Again. Bring your body under subjection. Shut down them pornographic videos. Burn them up. Shut that life off. Bring your body under subjection. Don't let no boy touch your breasts and no girl touch your genitals, brother. You bring your body as a living sacrifice. Look, I got to keep my body pure. And I'm telling you, friends, God could see everything. Why am I going here? I don't understand this this morning. God can't bless you if you're shacking up and doing stuff with your body. He said, bring your body under subjection. Today is the 28th day of, no, of January. Fix it today. Clean it today. Stop it today. Make a decision today to live clean in your body. Make a phone call. Call it off and shut it down. Tell them don't come back no more. Do something. Amen. Fix it. Bring your body as a living sacrifice. And then he says, be no longer conformed to this world's way of thinking. But be ye what? Transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. See, we've got to learn to think again like kings. Kings. We must have the spirit of kingship. 
attitude of kingship. And that's why the whole thing about Christianity, as you call it, is really about leadership. It's about rulership. It's about kingship. It's not about low and humble and poor and all that stuff. It's about taking over again. Let me, let me close with a verse that I thought was very interesting. This verse found in, in uh, Matthew. We can, we can deal with this next week. Tell your neighbor, boy, Papa's pastor preaching good. I'm preaching good. I'm preaching good. Praise God. I'm preaching to myself. Hallelujah. Matthew 25. Watch this. Woo, I love this verse. Love this verse. Matthew 25. Everybody got it? Come on, everybody turn there. I want you to read this for yourself. This is deep stuff. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is explaining to the people how this whole thing's supposed to end. And he says to them in chapter 25 of Matthew, let's read verse 34. The king, oh, I like that. Woo. He said the king. Yeah, hallelujah. The king. The king, praise the Lord. Let's read verse 31. Get a context. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, everybody say glory. glory. What is glory? Full weight. Boy, that's a deep statement. Now you can see, you understand it now, right? Yeah, isn't that great? He said, when the Son of Man comes in what? His full weight. See, y'all didn't see nothing yet, he says. But when he comes in his full weight, all the angels with him, he will sit on what? His throne. Last time he saw him, he was on a cross, bleeding. That wasn't his full weight. That wasn't the real thing. He coming as a king on a throne in heavenly what? Full weight. That means heaven going to show its full weight. Wow. All the nations will be gathered together, including the Bahamas, Jamaica, Barbados, America, Canada, England, Argentina, Chile, Swaziland, Namibia. He says, I'm going to bring all, my Lord, every nation can be gathered unto me. Watch this. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, it didn't say we were sheep and goats. Hmm. It says the way the shepherd does that is the way he's going to do that. Now, do you know how shepherds separate sheep from goats? Let me tell you how he does it. When you go to, to, uh, to, the, to the land of Israel, we've been there many times now, they, got this, they still got farms there just like they did in the day of Jesus. And they got many shepherds all over the place. You see them all over the place with sheep following them. And they got goats as well. Now, the way you separate a sheep from a goat is this way. Watch this. When the sheep and goats go out to graze, the shepherd take all of them together. And they are always mingling together, eating the, eating the, the, the grass. So they're all together. When they get back to the home, to the farm, they got the big pens to put these animals, fences and so forth. And so the shepherd does something. He stands in the front of the mass of sheep and goats. And he doesn't go through taking them one by one, because that would take 10 years. You know how goats got some interesting attitudes? How does the shepherd separate a sheep from a goat? He stands at the head of the whole flock. 
of sheep and goats. And he makes a sound. He said, that's how I'm going to do it. It's going to be done with a sound. The sheep, now, tell you something about goat now. Goats don't follow sound. You all listen, man. Jesus made sheep, you know, and he made goats, and he knew them to animals. Sheep don't, I mean, goat don't follow sound. You got to drive goats. But sheep, you don't got to drive. You make the sound, and they know their master's voice. They know the sound he makes. And when they hear that sound, they stop eating, and they go toward the sound. And wherever the sound goes, they go. Now one day, we were in a kibbutz, and a farm, uh, the, the sheep came down with the shepherd walking, and it was a beautiful scene, my wife and I were shocked, a beautiful scene, the shepherd just goes to me, we saw what we saw paintings of. It's real. The shepherd walking. And he and looking back. And the sheep on a straight line. All of them walking right behind him in the Holy Land. I said, my God, there's a postcard. <laughs> and he came right near to us. Because we were standing there with Ben Kinchlow and other people. We were all admiring the sunset in Bethlehem. And the shepherd came right back. And guess what? All the while he was walking, he's making a sound. <laughs> Never look back. And it was the sound of that specific shepherd for those specific groups of sheep. Christ says, when I do this thing, I'm going to make sounds. Man, you don't talk to me. Yes. See, all y'all sitting together, I know who's go. All of y'all ain't hearing my voice. Everybody, right there, nodding. <laughs> we don't know who hearing the sound of the word of the God we serve. God has a voice. Read, quick, 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 read, read, read. He says here, then the king will, will separate them with a sound like the man separates sheep from a goat. Ah, and then the king will say to those on his right, read out loud, please. Come, you who are blessed by my who? Father. Take your inheritance, that means your rights, the kingdom which was prepared for you before the world. Stand up on your feet and shout, somebody. If you can hear his voice, bless him with a praise offering this morning. Come on, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. I hear your voice, O oh Lord. I hear your voice. I hear your voice. Come on, worship him. Lift those hands, everybody, and let the King of glory hear your voice back to him. Submit to him. Respond to him. Bless him this morning. Come on, lift your voice up and begin to bless him for the word of this God this morning. Is my Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We worship you this morning. To
you my heart. Lord, I give you. Lord, I give you my heart. Give you my soul. I give you my soul. I live. I live for you. I live for you alone. Every breath, every breath that I take, every moment, every moment I'm away. simple this morning and that is you got to learn the voice of kingdom you got to have the mind of kingdom to pick up the voice of kingdom in this series of kingdom teachings we are going to transform your life I tell you if you ever get this thing your life will be transformed forever the year of God's favor Demands that we understand his voice, his signal, the way he sounds, so we don't be a goat. And there are people here this morning who, who don't even know that they have a father like God. And maybe you've been religious for a long time, going from church to church and, and group to group, trying to figure things out for your life. And God, God set you up this morning because he brought you here this morning at the nick of time because he knew that you needed to hear a clear message to hear his voice and if you heard his voice this morning I dare you in Jesus name to follow love and to fall in love with love and to run after the sound of love because God loves you he don't want you to eat pig food no more he don't want you to live in the hog style no more your life is too good to be among the pigs you are a son not a servant you are a son, not a slave. You belong to your father's house. Come home back to your father. And be restored, be reinstated. And then let the word of God recondition your mind. And this morning, if you would say, I need to walk away from that pig life. I need to walk away from all that stuff that I've been trying to find uh, fulfillment and hope and peace in. I need to go and do something in my life. I want you this morning to make a decision and say yes, please, please, make a decision. If you make it, God will respond. God loves you and he cares for you. Listen to me, old woman. God loves you. You heard it before, but this morning it's clear. He loves you so much that he didn't come, he didn't let you look for him, he came to look for you. And he came and died on the cross to find you. Listen to me, young woman, young man. God is here this morning saying, look, you ain't got no future. Don't try to go any further with your friends. I'm the only answer that can fix this thing up to make your life right. And if you haven't done it, do it this morning. Why don't you come right now? Let's pray with you. But what a day to do it. The last Sunday in January, no better day. Will you come right now? Anybody, 
I want you to walk out of your seat and tell your neighbor, excuse me, this is personal business between me and God. Get me out of this row. I want you to come down front. Let's pray with you this morning as you surrender back to your father and reconnect to your family when you come right now. Give the Lord a hand for one. Anybody else, move quickly. Anybody else, come on, you move quickly. Anybody else? I give you my another half of this young man come and praise God. Come on, see. Angels rejoice over one. We got two. We got three. We got four. Come on, angels. Rejoice with the angels, saints. I give you my Clap your hands, all ye people, and praise the Lord for these people soul. who are coming from this is what it's all about. Oh Lord, we got another one. That's five. Give the Lord a praise offering this morning. You need I to give your life to Jesus. Then come on, make it right. You are a son. You are a son. You are a son. You are a son. You are not a slave. You are not a pig. You are a son. Come on to your father. Come on to your father. Come on to your father. Please do it this morning. Come on to your father. Give the Lord another hand for this young man. Shout somebody. I give you my heart. Come on, be your king. He loves you. Make it right now. Decide right now. Move right now. This is the day of salvation. It's the moment of salvation. This is the moment God has been waiting for. Thank you, Lord. I don't know. I don't know some of the stuff the Lord led me into this morning. But I tell you something. Holy Spirit, don't play games. Some of you need to come up here for some ministry. And whatever the Holy Spirit spoke to you, whatever hit you this morning, I don't want you to walk out here and go jump in your car and drive through them flags because you didn't hear from God if you don't obey God. If God spoke to you about something this morning for you to deal with, I speak as a prophet that if you walk out of here and don't respond, may the Lord bring the judgment of that sin and that disobedience upon you in Jesus. Because God's love also has judgment. God is tolerant. He's patient. And if you need to come here this morning, you're born again, but the Lord spoke to you with some things personally to fix. I want you to move out of your seat right now and say, God, I heard you. I'm going to do this today by faith. I'm going to believe you're going to give me the strength to overcome this thing. And I'm going to break it this morning. Will you come right now? I challenge you in Jesus' name to be obedient. I'm telling you the fruits of obedience are beautiful. Do it now in Jesus' name. Come right now. Come on, sing it. Hallelujah. You know who you are. You know who you are. God spoke Lord, to you to fix some things in your life. Kingdom care leaders. Lord, I elders, give you deacons, my heart. Come pray. I give you my soul. Come on, kingdom care.
I live for you alone. Every every breath that I take, every moment I'm away, every moment I'm away. Oh Lord, thank you. Lord, have your way in me. Yes, Lord. Lord, I give you my heart. Thank you. I give you my soul. Come on, we need some ministers up here. I To reconnect their lives to the Lord. I want you to, to go aside to the prayer, the prayer room this morning so that we can give you something personal and to pray with you, to deal with you directly. So I'm going to ask you to please go. Uh, who's going to go to the, to the prayer room with me, Bert? Okay, Bert. He's praying. Brother Bert. Can you come stand right here, please? All those who came up front first, listen to me. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Rediscovering the Kingdom series. For more information on this and other teachings of Miles Monroe, please visit Destiny Image online at www.destinyimage.com or visit Bahamas Faith Ministries online at www.bfmmm.com. of Jesus was a kingdom on earth in the hearts of men. Rediscovering the kingdom will defy almost every concept you have about religion. The message of Jesus was a message of a kingdom from heaven on earth. That was the message of Jesus. Your thinking will be rearranged and your life empowered as Dr. Miles Monroe shifts the focus away from religion toward the ultimate issue, the kingdom of God. Jesus came to restore these kings who lost their kingship and their kingdom. Let us now join the seminar in progress. going to be dealing today with the dominion mandate of leadership. That's our topic for today. Write that on top of your page. Take notes this morning. Keep a notebook specifically for Sunday mornings and keep a notebook for Sunday nights. Keep them separate because you're going to go through a lot of teachings this year and of course keep a separate notebook on leadership for Friday nights. But today we're going to look at the dominion mandate of leadership. I want you to turn to the book of Genesis and then we're going to turn to the book of Romans chapter 12. The book of Genesis, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And one of the things that we dealt with is we tried to emphasize in our opening segment last week 
the importance of distinguishing the difference between a Christian and a citizen of the kingdom. We try to distinguish the difference between a servant and a son. We try to distinguish the difference between an ambassador and somebody who is just a Christian. And the reason why I use these words and distinguish them, you're going to see why they are so important to our study in the Word of God. Let me begin this morning with another surprise. And that is, the Bible is a book about a kingdom, not a republic. Write that down, please. It will make sense later. Secondly, the Bible is a book about a kingdom, not about a democracy. Democracy is not in the Bible. Democracy is not scriptural. Democracy did not come from the Bible. Democracy is not God's idea. The Bible is about a kingdom. In a republic like Guyana or Haiti or even America, these are all republics. In a republic, you have a president. The president of these countries are voted in by the citizens. That's a republic. The Bahamas is not a republic yet. The Bahamas does not have a president. We are a democracy. We are a country that is a part of a commonwealth of countries, even though we are independent. So we have a prime minister. The head of state of our country is a governor, not a president. The executive of our country is a prime minister. The highest power in the Bahamas is the governor who is still under, symbolically, the Queen of England. So even though we are independent, we are not a republic yet. In a democracy, the prime minister is also voted in by the citizens. So the Bahamas is not a kingdom. America is not a kingdom. Haiti is not a kingdom. Jamaica is not a kingdom. Guyana is not a kingdom. Obviously, when you use the word kingdom, you automatically got to have what? A king because it's a dom. <laughs> the Bible is a kingdom book. That is why most of us do not obey Jesus, even Christians. We have a difficulty obeying God because we live in a democracy. In a democratic society, the opinions of the citizens count. We call it vote. In a democracy, the people have the power. In a democracy, 
If you don't like the person you voted for last time, you can vote against them and put them out of power. That's a democracy. That's in a republic and a democracy. In the Bible, there is no democracy. There's a king. Hallelujah. In a kingdom, the opinions of the citizens do not count. In a kingdom, you have no vote. You're quiet. In a kingdom, there is no referendum. In a kingdom, you cannot vote the king out. Mm. That's why we find it difficult to live in the kingdom of God. Because we were brought up in a democracy. So when the king speaks, we give him our opinion of what he said. That's not kingdom. The word that God uses, are you ready for this? For sin, in the Bible, in the Hebrew language, and in the New Testament Greek, the word for sin is rebellion. Now, if you go against a government, that's called what? A rebellion. And if you succeed against that government, it's called what? A revolution. Now, in the kingdom of God, there was one person who attempted a coup. You all remember that guy? Don't fool with God's government. There was a, a musician who thought he could organize a coup against the kingdom of God. A musician. The guy wasn't even a soldier. All he had was notes to fight with. That's why the Bible calls his weapons fiery little notes, dots. He decided that he didn't like the government of God and that he would therefore organize a coup so he influenced one-third of the angels of the kingdom and they went up to take care of business. And we all know the result, don't we? The Bible says, now when I count to three, everybody blink, one, two, three. It was over. Jesus said, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. It was finished. Ever since that day, the great king of glory and heaven and universe tolerates nobody. This book is about a kingdom. Let's explain why. In Genesis chapter 1, we read this this morning, I want to read this again, and I want you to take notes. Uh, I wonder if we could try and get the screen up one more time. I, I want you to see some things up there, if you don't mind. Can we do that? If it's a problem, then I'll just go with this. Or maybe you all will listen better. Okay, don't put it up then. 
Oh, you got it up. Okay, hit it. I want you to read this verse with me. Turn to Genesis 1.26, please. Just hit, please. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our own image, and in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, it is, sir, and the birds of the air, and over everything that creeps upon the ground. Just leave that there for a moment. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, we find God doing something. He's creating man in his own image, in his own likeness, and he gives this man what? Dominion. Everybody say dominion. Write the word down, please. Dominion. This is really the heart of man's fulfillment on earth. God created man not to sing songs, not to attend worship services, not to have prayer meetings, not even to have church meetings. God did not create you to have Bible study. That was never God's plan for us. God's plan was very clear. His plan was to have a family of children who would share in his dominion. He dominates heaven, they dominate earth. So all of the family dominate. That's God's plan. God's plan was for you and I to share in his dominion. God created a place for us to do that. It's called earth. Now he is called the king of the universe. All through the Bible, he's referred to as the ruler, the almighty God, the king of kings. He is the king. King means ruler or one who standardizes. He sets a standard. He measures things. And the word king and the word kunik, it actually means to, to set a measure. So a king is the one who sets the standard for everything. That's what a king does. God is called the king of the universe and the king of all creation. That means he establishes the standards for everything that exists and anything that falls below that standard is not pleasing to God. God therefore created you, watch my lips now, to maintain his standard on earth. That's what kings do. So God gave us this planet so that we could, could keep his standard, not set them, but keep them on earth. We're supposed to make sure that everything in this planet is, is being maintained up to the standard of God. That's what kingship is on earth. So man was created to dominate, that means to keep the rulership standard of God on the planet. To make sure that the earth looks just like heaven. Hallelujah. So the king's job is to keep the domain up to the standard of the king. That's what a king's job is. When God gave us the planet then he was telling us have dominion over the earth. Now this verse of scripture we have up here, Matthew, is one of the favorite scriptures of Jesus. One of the quotes he made. In Matthew chapter 24 verse 14 he says and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come now everybody's been praying for the end to come because they want to go to heaven I'm talking about the believers now 
And everybody says that no one knows the hour when the Son of Man cometh. That was stated very clearly by Jesus. In Matthew 24, <laughs> the disciples asked him a question. And the whole chapter is the answer. The question was, when will the end come? They wanted to know. His answer was this statement. First he said, before he said this, he said these things. He says, there shall be wars and rumors of wars. You ever heard that before? Then he says, there'll be famine and pestilence. You ever heard that before? Then he says, there'll be earthquake in diverse places. We had one last week in India. Then he says, there'll be signs in the sun. Well, our ozone layer is in trouble. The ice caps are melting. The ocean is rising, they say, one foot every 10 years. That means the land is falling into the sea. There's signs in the heavens, he says. But then he says, but the end is not yet. Now, a lot of pastors and apostles and prophets are going around preaching. Well, there's AIDS and there's earthquakes and there's farming. That means the end is coming. Christ says, no, the end is not yet. The signs of the end are not earthquakes and famine. Read your Bible, don't read these people's messages. You know, one of the reasons why I'm very sensitive about prophetic preaching is because it can become very opinionated. And you start ruling people by your opinion. I want this church people to stay with the Bible. Don't follow these bunch of prophets coming in with all kinds of prophetic teaching. You better check, make sure you know the word before they start preaching. Because sometimes they put fear in your heart, don't preaching, and all of a sudden you go around, want to start saving up money, stocking up food somewhere in Acklands. <laughs> don't laugh. People are doing stuff like that, getting prophecies from people that are not scriptural. Read the Bible. Jesus said when these things happen, the end is not yet. Then he gave us when the end will come. It's in this verse. He says, and when this gospel of what? The kingdom is preached into all the world to every nation, every ethnos, every culture, every special grouping. When they get the kingdom message. Let me ask you a question. Is the church preaching the kingdom? They preach faith messages. They preach prosperity. They preach healing. They preach baptism in the Holy Ghost. They preach, you know, walking in faith. They preach all this stuff. But they don't preach the kingdom. Now, don't get me wrong. All these things are in the kingdom, but they are not the message. Christ says the end will come when the whole world has heard the message of the kingdom of God. Then the end will come. Which means that 
you could unpack your bags. Because based on what we've been doing the last 2,000 years, the world haven't heard the kingdom message yet. In some cases, people preach their own religion. They preach their own denomination. Some are so hung up on some parts of theology that that becomes their message. The kingdom of God is the message. Now, why is this so important? Why did God say, hit that for me, please. Why did God say that the kingdom is what the world needs to hear? Can I tell you why? You're going to like this. Because the kingdom is what everybody's looking for. The Buddhists are looking for the kingdom of God. The Muslims are looking for the kingdom of God. The Shintoists, the Baha'i are looking for the kingdom of God. The drunkard, alcoholic are all looking for the kingdom of God. The AIDS patients are looking for the kingdom of God. The atheists is starving for the kingdom of God. And you are looking for the kingdom of God. You are not looking for religion. Now, why do I know and how do I know you are looking for the kingdom of God? And why did Jesus say that that's what you need to preach to the world? Do you remember? He, he, Jesus told parables, didn't he? Every single day he kept teaching parables. There's a parable he gave one time that proves that everybody wants the kingdom. He said there was a man who was working in a field. He was weeding for somebody. He had a job working in a field. He was weeding the field for somebody. And while he was digging and cleaning up the person's property, he found treasure. Interesting, eh? Now, you may ask, how would treasure be in a field? Why would somebody put treasure in a field? Here's the answer. In the days of Jesus, and they still do it today in the Middle East, in the days of Jesus, there were no banks. So when you have treasure, whether it's gold, silver, diamonds, jewels, precious coins, whatever, when you had that kind of jewel, uh, treasure, there was no safety deposit boxes. So here's what they did, and they still do it today in the Middle East. They would take the treasure, tie it up in a cloth, and they would go out in the hills. And they would find a spot just out in the hills. They would dig a hole, and they would bury the treasure. And they would cover it up, and then put stones to mark it. Now, there are millions of rocks all over Palestine. You ever been there? Those of you who with me, you know that's a, that's a rocky place. So therefore, the only person who knew where that spot was, was who? The person who put it there. So people would walk over that spot for years. Never knew that there was treasure there. Because that was the way they kept their treasure. It was like a bank. So when he said this man was working in a field, it wasn't his field, of course. He had a hired job. He was working in a field, he was digging, probably preparing the, the land for crops, and when he was digging, he came upon somebody's treasure. The Bible says the man looked this way and that. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because you want to make sure whoever owned it is, 
ain't around. And then the Bible says he covered it up and went out and borrowed money. This is an important parable. He borrowed money, came back, and went to the owner of this property, and he, he asked him to sell it, and the man sold it. And he bought the property. Matter of fact, the Bible says he, he sold everything he had. This man gave up his house, his donkey, and his children. Sold everything. Sold his wife, everything. In other words, this man decided that what he found in this field, follow my message, was more important than everything he accumulated in his life. And the Bible says he went and he bought the field. And then the next statement says, such is the kingdom of God. Wow. First of all, God is saying, your job ain't fulfilling you. You're working hard for other people, but what you're really looking for is the kingdom of God. Then he says, that big house you got, that ain't fulfilling you. What you're really looking for is the kingdom of God. That nice car you got, that ain't fulfilling you. What you're really looking for is the kingdom of God. That bank account that you got all stacked away, them CDs and them shares and them investments, he said, look, what you're really looking for is this one thing that's hidden, the kingdom of God. He told so many parables like that, didn't he? Talk about the woman who was searching for a coin, she lost. She turned the house upside down until she found it. That's what people are doing in religion. They're turning up everything. Some go from Buddhism to Islam to, to Confucianism uh, to all kind of stuff. They're looking. And some of you have been that way. Some of you have been through witchcraft, juju, all kind of stuff, trying to find. And then you finally run into God. Can I hear an amen? Some of y'all tried your little liquor, your little drugs, little girlfriend, little boyfriend, little sex, little stuff, little gambling. All of a sudden your life is a mess and then you find God. What you're looking for? We're looking for the kingdom. Some of us even found religion. Christianity. Still ain't found the kingdom. Why? Is the kingdom so important that you would sell everything you have to get this one thing? Here's why. Because you want power. That's what you want. You want what you, what you are. Genesis 1.26 says what? And God said, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. God says, I created you to have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Go ahead, just give me some scriptures there. All right, now, I want to give you why Jesus came. Jesus came to earth because we lost the kingdom. So I, I listed some things I want you to write down here. Number one, go back please. Thank you, sir. First of all, 
He came to earth to extend the kingdom of heaven on earth. We're going to go through scriptures on this in the next few weeks. But that's an important statement. Jesus came to earth to extend the heavenly kingdom through the agency of humans. When God created man, God wanted his kingdom to be established on earth through these beings, just like him, called mankind. Secondly, he wanted to establish a family of sons, not servants. That's why God calls himself father, not boss. God doesn't want servants, he wants sons. Thirdly, Jesus came to establish a kingdom of sons and not subjects. And this is where the kingdom of heaven diverges from the kingdoms of the earth. In the kingdoms of the earth, the king rules over subjects. But in the kingdom of heaven, there are no subjects. There's only family. The king happens to be the big brother of all the citizens. What a kingdom. Which means that you can't go wrong in this kingdom because anything you need, the family is involved. It's a family affair. Therefore, Jesus came to, to reinstate the sons, not to make them subjects. And then he came to establish a commonwealth of citizens and not Christians. And I like the word commonwealth because it means the wealth is what? Common. When you come into the kingdom of God again and become a citizen, you don't, you don't, you don't have less rights than I do. Everybody got the same rights. <laughs> I remember the disciples asked Jesus one time, you know, uh, Christ calmed the seas and he did all this great work. And they said, oh, master, increase our faith. What were they saying? You got more than us. That's why you do it more than us, because you got more faith than us. What was his answer? He says, wrong. He says, if your faith is as big as a grain of black pepper, that's the size of a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, in this kingdom, everybody got equal power. Wow. He even gets a little bit more audacious, huh? They said, you are so great. Who, who are they talking to? The king. The king responds. Greater works than these shall you do, citizens. Wow. What kind of kingdom is this? The citizens are as powerful as the king, and according to the king, can even do greater works. Do you like this kingdom? Boy, you're all quiet this morning. Do you like this kingdom? See, we got this idea, there's great Jesus and there's lowly me. Christ says, no, you are seated with me in heavenly places. I got to work on your mind, you see. We got religion, man. I promise you by December, you're going to be a new creature. You're going to walk around this world, 
You're going to walk in your place of work. You're going to walk into your school and college. You're going to walk the streets with a different skip in your step and a glide in your stride. You're going to begin to understand that you are who he says you are, not what they said you should be. People treat you the way you treat yourself. By the way, you attract people just like you. The Lord just spoke to somebody about that. You want to know who you like? Check the people who come around you. If they like to gossip, that's you. If you're the first person they bring stories to, that's who you attract because that's what you are. If people who tell lies are attracted to you, See, we got to be cautious. Jesus came not to create a religion. He came to restore a family. I told the story last week, and I'll remind you of it. The story about what we call the prodigal son. That's a story about a family, isn't it? And it was a kingdom story. It was a son who left home, father stayed home, all the stuff in the house, son comes back home. The son requested to be a servant. That's religion. I just want to serve the Lord. Lord, just, just, I just want a little place by the gates of the kingdom. Lord, I just want a cabin just over the hilltop. All this attitude began. God don't want you no cabin. He got the son in the house and he killed the fatted calf. Now in case you forgot what a fatted calf is, every family in Israel, even today they still do it, they have flocks of sheep and goat. And they would pick and choose one sheep or one goat and they would reserve that particular sheep or goat for the special guest. They'd never eat that one. And they would feed that the best corn, the best food. They'd protect it. They would groom it. They would keep it clean. They would make sure it wasn't hurt. They would protect that one calf, that sheep, that goat. That'd be the special for the special guest, for the honored guest. Only the honored guest they would kill the fatted calf for. Guess who God said to kill the calf for? You. In the kingdom of God, you are the apple of his eye. You are the center of the party. You caused the celebration. When you came back home to God, heaven went crazy. Not earth. Your family thought he was nuts and heaven went crazy. They celebrated when you gave your life to Jesus. And if you haven't done it yet, the party is still waiting for the one who causes it to happen. came to give us 
a kingdom. Next. I want you to follow this. Look at the word dominion in the verse. I want to define it for you. Can you hit it one more time? Write the word dominion down. First of all, uh, look at these scriptures. The program of God, and this will be probably the most important thing I say to you, the program of God is simple. First it is to rule the visible from the invisible. Through the invisible, living in the visible, on the visible. By this tape, please. Can you try and write that sentence down? That's what the whole Bible is about right there. The whole Bible is about God's program. God's original intent was to rule the visible. That's the physical world. From the invisible. God never wanted to leave heaven. Never his plan. He wanted to rule the visible from the invisible. And he wanted to do it through the invisible. That's the spirit man. Living in the visible. That's the body. On the visible. That's the earth. Let us have dominion over the fish, the birds, the trees, the plants, the creeps. God says... I want to rule the visible, but stay in the invisible. And I want to do it through the invisible, living in the visible, on the visible. In other words, he wanted to rule the seen from the unseen, living in the unseen, which is in the seen, on the seen. Got the scene? 1970 to say seen that's God's plan the whole Bible is about that the whole Bible is about God wanting to extend his rulership from the invisible world he, he's already in charge in the visible world but he wanted to rule another realm so he created the visible world that's what the universe is it's the visible world it's a reflection of the invisible the Bible says that which is seen came from that which is unseen. So God has an awesome universe that is invisible. He calls heaven. And then he created a reflection of it called the universe. In that we have solar systems, galaxies, and we are a part of one of those solar systems that is in one of those galaxies that's a part of a Milky Way. There are millions of Milky Ways and we happen to be on one of the planets, number three from the sun, that's in our own little solar system where there are billions of suns and God says, I want to rule that, but I'm not going to rule it myself. I'm going to set up a program where my kids are going to run that planet for me. Can you feel his power? He says, and I want them to do it without me coming in. So I'll stay in the unseen. I'll create an unseen being. I'll put my unseen spirit in the unseen being. And then take the unseen being that have my spirit that is unseen. Put him in a seen body. And place the body with the unseen on the earth. So God wanted to communicate from the unseen to the unseen. Living in the seen on the seen. So the seen could be affected by the unseen without the unseen coming to the scene. See? All right. 
I'm trying to establish the dominion mandate. Therefore, the next statement. He wanted to have his kingdom come and his will done on earth as it is in heaven through his sons of men. Is that simple? That's the original plan in Genesis. God wanted you to dominate the earth for him, with him connected to you through the spirit which you are and his spirit which he is and the two spirits communicate he gave his directives to you you give it to the body the body give it to the earth and the earth manifests the will of God is that a beautiful system yeah in other words earth's supposed to know what heaven is thinking by what you do earth is supposed to experience the intent of God or the will of God by it being manifested in your standardization in the earth. Oh, hallelujah. Hi, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, glory, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. My soul is having a good time. Okay. Let me give you an awesome example. Jesus one day woke up, John chapter 5, and he was walking. He met a guy who was blind, healed him. Man, a guy was lame, gave him back his strength. He walked up and he saw a leper, cleansed him. He ran into a situation, saw a dead boy, raised him. I mean, the guy just working miracles, working miracles that day. I mean, Jesus was on a roll. He was on a roll. And by afternoon, everybody's head was spinning. So they asked him, how did you do these things? By what authority did you do these? Whoa! He said, listen, he said, Listen, listen, you're going to miss it. He said, my father is always working. <sighs> you missed it. He said, I only do what I see my father do. See, you miss it. Here he is. He walks with the blind guy, heals him. Boom. Walks over, guy lame, heals him. Leprous, clams. Guy dead, raised him up. He just worked in miracles. And they said, how did you do that? He said, my father's always working. I only do what I see my father do. He says, look, uh, in the invisible world, God just healed a guy, so I have to manifest it. Yes. You missed it. He said, look, that man who's lame is healed in heaven, but God needed an agency to manifest it on earth, so I touched him. In heaven, ain't nobody sick. And so according to heaven, this man's healed. Because ain't nobody sick in the unseen. Okay, so the only sickness that exists is on earth. And God ain't got no connection. You Pharisees and scribes ain't connected. There's no domination of the sickness on earth. You're not dominating the sickness. Hallelujah. Most of what's not happening in your neighborhood is because you ain't doing nothing about it. Jesus is telling us that God's already done all kinds of things. He just can't find no kids to manifest it in the scene. Oh, hallelujah. Listen. <laughs> no wonder why God could say by his stripes you were healed 
you healed already even before you get sick you were healed in the heavenlies you are healthy what we need is to get that thing translated you all ain't understanding this crisis the way I did all of this is because it was done before I did it. I only do what I see my father do. And by the way, the word see there is a strange Aramaic word he used, which means actually to think. So if you really read it in the raw language, the way he spoke, it comes out like this. I only do what I see my father think. My father does it, then he thinks it to me, and I do it. So what you see me do was done long before it was done. That's kingdom. The king is dominating heaven and there's no disease in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. Man, you all talk to me, man. Ain't no, the street, man, oh Jesus. When John read heaven, John said, even the street paved with gold, man. The, 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 the gates got pearls, man. I mean, in, on earth be fussing for pearls. Up here, they make furniture out of it. You don't talk to me. Now, uh, listen, it doesn't mean that they're literally pearls in heaven. I think what John was seeing was the stuff we fight about. God used for carpet. Yes. He was talking about an attitude. In other words, poverty is not normal for God. In heaven, God is wealthy. So he's looking for some folks to show up on earth. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. Some folks say Jesus was poor. Let me ask you a question. He meant some guys who were poor. They had no fish. Toiled all night and stayed up all morning, scared to go home because wife ain't got no money. You're wondering why Peter, James, and John didn't go home that morning? I don't blame them. They fished all night, caught no fish, and Sister Peter was waiting to depart on no fish. And the Bible says they stayed and he met them in the morning mending their nets. I got a question. If you ain't never caught no fish, how come nets break? You're lying, sitting there, scared to go home. <laughs> Jesus comes along. Now remember now, you're like, poor little Jesus, make him mad. What poor little Jesus? He walks into these guys and he don't need nothing. They broke empty boats. He said, let's go fishing. Let me tell you something. If Jesus wanted to start a fishing company, he'd have put everybody out of business. Have you ever thought about that? This guy stood in the boat with guys who are professionals who ain't caught nothing. And in three minutes, the boat was sinking with fish. And that was only one trip. Poor. Do you know what that meant? That meant in heaven, there was a boatload of fish. I only do what I see, man. My father just filled the boat up, so let me fill the boat up. I wonder how many bank accounts the Lord already filled up and you still scrapping. Come on, talk to me, kingdom people. Talk to me, kingdom people. We speak things that be not. Come on, talk to me. As though they already were. Why? Because they are already were. But he needs you to speak. Lift your hand. Just say, I am healed now. Lift your hand. 
Say it with me. All my bills are paid. Were paid. Now. Thank him. Thank him for a second. Use your faith. Pull the thing out of the unseen. That's kingdom living. God wants his kingdom of heaven to show up on earth through his sons. Let me, let me give you a little taste for me to pick up here next week because, boy, I just get started. My time's gone. You all enjoying it? Okay, watch. Look at this list. Write this list down. This is what dominion means. The word dominion is important to you. Now, many of you say, Pastor Miles, I've been here for 15 years and you keep preaching this word. You know why? Because you still ain't got it. <laughs> Jesus was a boring preacher. He had one message for three and a half years. And at the end of his message, which ended in the first chapter of Acts, that's when the message ended. His last message on earth was in Acts chapter 1. The first five verses. And in that, that, that first five verses, the disciples still didn't get it. Will you now establish the kingdom? He said, what are you talking about now, establish the kingdom? They talking about, will you knock off Caesar and take over the Roman Empire? They were thinking about the Roman Empire. He says, he says how long must I be at you? You guys are so stupid. Still ain't got it. So now, if he couldn't get it across to them, you know I got a little work to do. I mean, he's God himself demonstrating the thing every minute, and they're still thinking about Caesar. So you all buried me for another 20 years. I'm going to still preach Genesis 1.26. <laughs> one by one, I believe you're going to get it. One by one, you're going to just fall off the line of failure into the territory of success. Now, dominion means these words. Number one, it means to govern. Wow. Secondly, it means to rule. Dominion. Thirdly, it means to control things. Fourth, it means to manage. To manage. Number five, I want you to underline it in your notes. Number five is very important. The word dominion means to master something. To master it. Do you know what's the number one problem in our lives today? We are jacks. <laughs> Successful people are not called Jack. Now, one of the common words in the Bahamas when I was growing up in Baintown was this. Hey, Jack. What's up, Jack? And they called everybody Jack. Now I figured out why. <laughs> Jack means you're doing everything but ain't getting nothing done. Changing jobs every other month. Bouncing from church to church. Bouncing from mate to mate. Relationship to relationship. Just jack of all the trades. Some, some people are a jack of all the wives. <laughs> jack of all the husbands. Jack of all the jobs. Jack of all the girlfriends. Jack of all the boyfriends. I mean, can't stay with nobody. Dominion means to master. And I'm going to deal with this later on in this series on Friday nights because you see, Dominion means to master something. It means you dominate an area. 
wealthy people, prosperous people, successful people are very masterful. They master an area. That's why we got to find our gift. Not our education, our gift. Because your gift makes room for you in the world. You got to master this thing. Dominate. You know, Bill Gates is not interested in... <laughs> Keep the TV on. Bill, I know you're watching this somewhere in Seattle somewhere. Bill, you know it's true. You ain't interested in, in nobody being equal to you in the business. That's why the federal government went crazy. The guy says, I'm going to dominate the computer world. Why? That's, that's in the man's spirit. It's in your spirit. When you open a shoe store, you want the best store. Don't lie to me. You want this store to be the store everybody can. Now you, now you love your sister in the Lord over there. She got a little shoe. You bless your brother over there, praise the Lord. But this shoe store, this one can be the best one. Am I right about it? It's in your spirit. You want to master the thing. That's why if you open a store, don't sell everything. You know, some of y'all sell everything. Go in your store, you don't know what to look at. What I come in here. You forget what you come for after a while. I like McDonald's, man. They are the most successful fast food business. Why? They sell one thing, brother, burger. Everything else is frills. You know, you know uh, KFC, I have an ad on now. And boy, you know, I watch for Revelation. I might look at things, you know. I saw Revelation. The ad comes on. We only do one thing. You ain't listening to the man. That's why he's number one chicken man. He said, listen, man, you know, we sell this salad on the side, but we only do one thing. We master chicken. That's why he's a billionaire. Why? He dominate that bird, man. You, you, you said, man. Come on, clap your hands. You got to dominate something. That's kingdom, man. That's kingdom. Colonel Sanders is the king in the world of chicken. My God. And by the way, I heard a story last week that somebody found a recipe. Now they are trying to sue the person. And guess how they found it? This person bought the old house he used to live in and found it on a piece of paper under the floor somewhere. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jesus said the secrets of the kingdom are not given to the world, just to you. You got your recipe. Y'all yeah. supposed to clap, man. <laughs> he says the way you're supposed to live in life, the world's supposed to wonder, how are you doing that? Why? You got your secret recipe. Jesus gave the secret recipe. You call things that be not as though they were, and then they are. Add that part on there, okay? Because they come into being from the unseen. It's kingdom living. This next one here. To have dominion means you have lordship, rulership. Let's look at this word, king. And then we can pick up here next time. Look at the word king. King, first of all, means ruler. Anybody grew up with uh, those little plastic rulers in your bag when you're going to school? Or the wooden one? Remember the wooden one? They, they, they call them rulers, don't they? You take them to school, they call rulers. Now, they, they call that a ruler because 
a, the word ruler means standard. If you notice, a ruler does what? It draws a straight line. What does a line do as soon as you draw it? Two things. One, it separates. If you've got a blank page with no lines on it, there's no separation. The minute you draw a line, there's separation. And secondly, when you draw a line, you set a standard. That's what a ruler means. A ruler draws the line. God draws the line. He decides what's right or wrong, what's up or down, what's left or right. He decides what's good or bad. You don't decide that. God is the ruler. He draws the line. That's why God gave Moses a ruler. When the people were sinning and messing up, God gave Moses a ruler. He gave him ten marks on a ruler. We call them the Ten Commandments. These are the ruler. That's the standard. Moses, if they want to live right, they must keep these standards. That's what ruler is. So king means to set the standard. By the way, uh, boy, my, you know, my spirit just so full of stuff, you know. Do you know what the word salt means? See, we read this. Jesus comes into the world and he says, first message, you know, first message, he, he gives the Beatitudes, that's the attitudes to be. We're going to teach you on that a little later. But then at the end of that, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You know what salt means? Salt means elite, standard. It doesn't mean seasoning. Hey, one thing about seasoning. Are you following me? See, we, we think he means we in the short shake and we shake ourselves up and we season things. No, the word salt means elite ones. That's what the, the, the Aramaic of the word meaning that he used. He says, you are the what? You are the elite standard of the world. You set the standards. Man, I'm trying to get this to you. He said, look, when it comes to fashion, let the saints set the standard. When it comes to cooking food, you're supposed to get revelation from God to know how to cook some food. Hello, somebody. When it talks about working on the job, what, the best worker is supposed to be the saint. Man, y'all ain't listening to me. See, some of y'all make him shame because you ain't keeping the standard. Going to work late, two hours for lunch, and leaving early. That ain't the standard. Well, well. Daniel was the salt of Babylon. The king loved him because he had an excellent spirit, the Bible says. He worked above the call of duty, the Bible says. He was the greatest among the stirrups. That means the permanent secretaries of that whole city. The guy was so excellent at work, the king promoted him. And everybody got jealous. Let me tell you something. If you're going to be in the kingdom of God, you've got to be the elite in your job. If you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be the best doctor they ever saw. You're going to be a mechanic, hey, there ain't nobody going to talk about you not putting the engine back together when you finish. You all listening to me? You're a kingdom person. If you work in a hotel, my God, ain't supposed to be no rumors about you. You're a kingdom person. You're in another government level. You're in a system of a citizenship who sets the standards for these people. It's kingdom. I hope we leave here today with just a little glimpse of an introduction into kingdom life.
because that's what God expects. When you go to the store to buy tomato paste, don't just walk out and wrap up, head all kapunkal up, <laughs> try again slippers. When you go to buy tomato paste, go in a chariot with your flowing robes on, walk in the store with class, they think you come to buy caviar. Walk in there, pick up the made paint, kiss it, get the best one. Why? My father got the money. Praise God. Tell your neighbor, Pastor, preaching this morning. Thank you very much. Give me a hand. God bless you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, I tell you what. We're going to ask God to give us grace this morning. Are you ready to live in this kind of kingdom? Are you ready for this series? Are you ready to see the Bible open to you like an open book? Are you ready to know Jesus the way you want to know him? You want to have an intimacy with the king that you never had before? You're going to get that. Because the word of God promises us if we seek him with all our hearts, we will find him. And the Bible says if you are hunger and thirst after righteousness, you shall be filled. Are you ready to be filled? Then this is your work that God's going to work into your heart. Let's pray. Bow your heads, take your neighbor's hand, tell your neighbor, I believe God. I believe the kingdom. And I'm in the citizenship. Father, I pray for everyone here. I thank you for your work in their hearts. In the name of Jesus, I praise you now that you are faithful to bring to pass everything that you've promised. Lord, manifest your word in the life of every listener. Those who are watching by television, those who listen by tapes, and those who are here in this fellowship place. Lord, let the impact of your word bring change, evidence, and manifestation of your, your, your peace and your grace and your power in their life. For the kingdom is in power, not just in word. I thank you, Lord, that you will continue to teach us your ways. We will live according to your standards. We thank you now for bringing us together. We go out of this place, prepared to come back tonight to dig into your word one more time, to grow, because Lord, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. I pray that you would give us the spirit of hunger, that we will hunger and thirst after your righteousness. And now, Lord, there be any sick among us, anyone who don't know you as Lord, if there are those who are still in the pig pen who want to come home, Lord, let today be the day that they come back to the Father Lord, you got the calf all ready to kill, ready to have a party in heaven. Don't let them stay out of sight of the house, Father. Bring them in. Every young person, every old person here today, Lord, who don't know the house, let them come back to the house. Because you love them. You're not mad at the sinner. You love the sinner. You gave your life and your blood for them, Lord. Let them return home. In Jesus' name I pray. And I expect this, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit has spoken to my heart this morning before we leave. If there's anybody here who needs prayer for healing, can you come quickly, please? I'm going to ask all of our ministers to come here. The Lord... We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Rediscovering the Kingdom series. For more information on this and other teachings of Miles Monroe, please visit Destiny Image online at www.destinyimage.com or visit Bahamas Faith Ministries online at www.bfmmm.com.
The purpose of Jesus was a kingdom on earth in the hearts of men. Rediscovering the kingdom will defy almost every concept you have about religion. The message of Jesus was a message of a kingdom from heaven on earth. That was the message of Jesus. Your thinking will be rearranged and your life empowered as Dr. Miles Monroe shifts the focus away from religion toward the ultimate issue, the kingdom of God. Jesus came to restore these kings who lost their kingship and their kingdom. Let us now join the seminar in progress. Tell your neighbor, I'm ready to change. Get your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis. For my 31st year of preaching on that one book. If you're here this morning, you're going to get blessed. I'm going to be speaking on the subject that's up top there. Please write that in your notes. We are going through what we call the Kingdom Series for the whole year. And we're going to be looking at accelerated progress through Kingdom leadership. Learning how to live in the Kingdom of God. We're going to speak this morning on contrasts in Kingdoms. Say that with me. Contrasts in Kingdom. One more time. Contrasts in kingdoms. Very important subject this morning. So please take notes. And by the way, it's important for you to take notes so you can become a teacher of the words you learn. Alright? What you learn is not just for you, but the Bible says that we must give to those who will in turn share it with other people as well. And all of you in this place will be called on sometime or the other in the future. The Lord's going to call on you to minister to somebody. So you might as well learn to take notes now. Every time we meet, it's Bible school. It's seminary. It's college in this place. And so you sit as a disciple. Disciple means student. You're a student of God's word and of course of his work. Contrast in kingdoms. We're going to talk about that this morning. I'm going to use some of our information here on our PowerPoint so you can kind of learn pretty fast. The scripture I want to start off with, uh, just a review, is Matthew chapter 24 verse 14. Remain in the book of Genesis please. In Matthew 24 14 it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to every nation, and then the end will come. Jesus was very specific about what we are supposed to be preaching. Then in Matthew 4:17 is his inaugural address. The first public statement made by Jesus was this statement in his ministry. It's found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Very important verse. This is the first public statement made by Jesus when he began his ministry. He began with this word, repent. Repent means what? To change your mind. It also means to change the way you think or the way you've been conditioned to think. Change your thinking. Then he says, because the kingdom of heaven has arrived. The King James Version says, is at hand. The original Greek written there is has arrived. So he was saying repent or change your thinking because a kingdom of God 
has come to earth, it has arrived. Look at the connection between the two statements. One, he says, change your thinking. Why? Because the kingdom of God is here. In other words, before the kingdom of God came back to earth, he says, your thinking was okay. But now that it's here, you've got to change the way you think. The word repent doesn't just mean to change your thinking, but it means to reverse it completely. In other words, to repent means to turn completely around in the opposite direction, in your thinking. Which means that to live in the kingdom of God, you've got to think the opposite to the way you've been taught. The kingdom of God takes everything that's been right side up and turns it upside down. So to live in the kingdom of God, you've got to think and act and believe completely opposite to what you've been taught. This is why repent is so important. Because repent is not feeling sorry about what you've done. Repent means to change your mind. Why? Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is the man. So if your thinking doesn't change, the man doesn't change. So Christ says to live in this kingdom, you've got to change your thinking, which will change your life, will change your mind. I think his first statement implies that the kingdom of God is a contrasting kingdom to the one you were born in and lived in all your life. You've got to think differently to survive in the kingdom of God. Let's take a look at some of the thoughts concerning this kingdom. Number one, God's original plan was to extend his heavenly kingdom on earth through mankind. That's God's original purpose and still is. Number two, God's purpose was to establish a family of sons and not servants. And number three, God's purpose was to establish a kingdom of sons and not subjects. God didn't want to rule over slaves. He wanted to have a family that shared his rulership. And that's a different concept of kingdoms. And then number four, God's purpose originally was to establish a commonwealth of citizens and not Christians. I want to contrast these two terms because Christians are religious people, but citizens are legal people. God did not want religious people. He wanted to have legal people, people who have a legal right to be a part of his family. So you will find Jesus distinguishing these two all through his teachings. In the book of John chapter 8 in my mind, I see it now going through my spirit. In 8, chapter 8, Jesus said that famous verse that you all know about. It says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Well, the verse just before that says that the servant is not a part of the house, but the son belongs to the house. Very important declaration he makes. In other words, if you are a, a, a servant of the Lord, that means you are not really a part of the house. You're just kind of doing things in the house. But he says the son is in the house. He's a part of the house. He's a part of the family. God wanted to establish a citizenry and not a religious movement. And finally, God's original plan was his desire to have relationship and not religion. Religion means to search. Relationship means you found him. Once you become a believer in Christ and receive his Holy Spirit, you are no longer a religious person. Religious people are looking for the Father God. Those who have found him have returned home and they are sons. This is expressed clearly by Jesus in the story of the, of the prodigal son, which again is an important story. 
because it begins with the spirit of a son who left home, became a servant to the slavery spirit out there, and then came back, and his desire was not to become a son, but to come to become a servant. Jesus tells a story that the father ignored that and said, my son is home. So God doesn't want servants nor slaves. He wants sons. He wants relationship. Here's where it all begins, the kingdom attitude. The kingdom concept begins in the mind of God. In the book of Genesis 1.26, God creates the human being and he tells us why. It says in the book of Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us create man in our own image and in our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the cattle of the field, and over all the earth, and over everything that creeps upon the ground." End quote. This verse is the key to kingdom thinking. The word dominion, if you check in my notes there, is in capital letters. Why? Because the, the center of the sentence is the word dominion. God expresses his desire for you, and for every one of the six billion people on earth right now, and that is for you to have dominion over the earth. God did not create you to attend church services or to have prayer meetings or to even have worship songs. God's intent was for you to have dominion over this planet. It's clear in his original mandate. I want to call this the dominion mandate. Write that down, please. The dominion mandate. That's what this particular verse is all about. God's mandate to man is to dominate the earth. That's God's intent and it never changes. The intent is another word for purpose, which means God's purpose is for mankind to dominate the earth and that's it. It never says to dominate heaven, God says to dominate the earth. Dominion is important here then. Let's find out a little bit more about what the dominion spirit is. The program of God then is simple. One, to rule the visible world from the invisible world through the invisible spirit living in the visible body on the visible earth. That's God's program. In other words, God wants to rule the seen world from the unseen world where he is by living in the unseen spirit of man in the seen body that is on the seen earth. God's program then was to rule the invisible from the invisible through the invisible living in the visible on the visible. Is that indivisible? <laughs> Put it another way. God's program was to have his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven through his children which is a family of sons and offspring that's God's program very simple very straightforward God therefore wanted you to have what I call the dominion leadership mandate write these terms down please here's what the Hebrew word dominion means dominion means number one to govern secondly to control thirdly to rule fourthly to manage Fifth, to master something, and sixth, to lead. All of these are important to you because that is what God intended you to do. God intended and originally desired for you to, to actually become a governor. Let's go back and put those words in the sentence God wrote about you. It says in Genesis 1.26, And God said, let us what? Make man in our own image and in our likeness, and let them what? Govern, rule, lead, master, control, and subdue the earth. In other words, every human being on this planet was created to do that list. Let me say one thing here, very important, very important. Whatever God creates something to do, 
he designs it for. I've said this for the last 25 years and people still miss it. Whatever God creates something to do, he designs it with. In other words, when God creates the bird to fly, he puts flight ability in the bird. When God creates the fish to swim, he put the ability to swim in the fish. If God creates you to dominate, he put the spirit of controlling, governing, rulership, leadership, and management in you. That's why every human being naturally resists oppression. Because we are designed to rule, not to be ruled. We are designed to govern and not to be governed. We are designed to manage things and not to be managed. We are designed to lead and not to follow. Now, you may not want to admit this, but that is your experience every day. That is why you hate to be told what to do. Am I right? Don't you hate when people tell you, even your spouse. Cook me some food. Wait a minute. Or the office boss says, type the letter and do it now. And all of a sudden, something goes off quietly on the inside. Even though you type in, you know, you type again, but there's the spirit. Even as a child, your mom says, sit down. And you say, no. And you say, sit down. And she, you say, no. Your mom says, I'll whoop you. You say, mm, no. And you still say no while you're sitting down. Why? Deep in your spirit, there is the spirit of what? Government, rulership, control, management, and leadership and mastering. You are designed for that. That's why the Holy Spirit himself will not violate God's original spirit he put in you. The Holy Spirit does not really control your life. He convicts you, he will guide you, he will lead you, but never drag you. Can I hear an amen? amen. He himself will not violate the spirit he put inside of you because he give you whatever he designed you to do. So leadership is not something you really have to 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 study is something you got to discover already on the inside. Everybody in this place was born to lead. You were designed to master. You were equipped to control. And you have the spirit of leadership. This is why every person that God has called through the Bible's history and story, he always addresses them based on what he knows about them. He told Abraham, you are a father of great nation. He told Sarah, you are a mother of nation. He told that, that old coward uh, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. He told David, you are a king when he was a kid. He told Joseph, you are a ruler while he was a slave. God always speaks to the real you, not what people say about you. Tell your neighbor if you knew who I really was, you'd be glad to sit next to me right now. Clap your hands and thank God. You are a leader. It's birth on the inside. On your job, when you go to work in the morning, stop walking around like as if you are an employee. You are a deployee. <laughs> in other words, you were not born to be employed. You were born to be deployed, to release your leadership ability. A job is God's opportunity for you to release your leadership in, and they should be privileged to have you work in there with your anointed gifts. They can't pay you enough, so don't complain about the salary, because you work more than what they could ever pay you. Clap your hands, somebody. So work is not about salary. It's about deployment. Because your leadership cannot be bought nor paid for. Can I hear an amen? That's why you feel good when people give you a, a, a title. Why? Because they're getting close to the real you. When you get promoted, you feel good. Why? You feel good not because of the money. You feel good because all of a sudden 
your spirit of leadership begins to rise a little higher. That's why God calls you sons of God. But you ain't there yet in your mind, you see. You are sons of God. You're not just Christians. You are sons of God. That means you are royal blood. You are a child of a king. That means you are a prince and a princess. But you ain't there yet. Because your mentality ain't there yet. You're still acting like the prodigal son. You want to be a servant. I'm come to tell you here that God wants you to lead and to master and to govern and to control. And that's why my attitude is the way it is. I have been convicted about this in my own life. That's why you don't have to wonder about me. I believe I am all of that. My job is to get you to believe you are all of that. Tell your neighbor, I'm all of that. Come on, sit up and wag your say, I'm all of that. Come on, praise his name, somebody. I am all of that list. That's what God says he created me to be. Can I hear an amen? So when the fish see me, they're supposed to get nervous. Look at that list. When the birds see me, they're supposed to bow and say, yes, chief. That ain't funny. Trees that grow in the field are supposed to respect me. Why? I am their master. I control them. I am their governor. This is why we should never oppress people, control people, depress people, oppress people, suppress people. We are attempting to do something that God wouldn't even do himself. Let's talk about what this kingdom is all about then. God wanted you to be kings over the dom of earth. Dom means dominion. Dominion, which means domain. You can only dominate a domain. That's why God specified your domain. Let them have what? Dominion over the earth. So you are the dominator and your territory or your domain is earth. So your domain for dominating is earth. So you are a ruler. Everybody say ruler. The word ruler is the same word for king. And the word dominion means to rule. So you are the king of the domain. So you are the king of this domain of earth. So you are the kingdom of God on earth. The kingdom of God, therefore, is not earth. The kingdom is the functioning of the rulers on the domain. That's the kingdom. So the kingdom is not the physical planet. The kingdom is you carrying out the dominion of God on this planet. It's you who are the kingdom. You are the king, ruler, dom, domain. You are the kingdom. You are the kingdom. You are God's kingdom on earth. Which means that every one of us are kings over the domain of earth. And that's God's property. So the word domain means territory. Territory. It's important to remember that territory is, is necessary to be a king. God gave you a territory. What was the territory? It's found in the book of Psalm 115. We read it last time. Verse 14 and 15 and 16. It says, he who created the heavens and the, world and the whole earth. Is the God of heaven. Verse 15 says, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he gave to man. Psalm 115, verse 15 and 16. Powerful verse. The heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he gave to man. Heaven is God's territory. Earth is whose territory? Your territory. That means your domain is earth. Hey, boys, I was born to dominate earth. Say it loud. Let your lungs get some ex excitement. Say it. I was born to dominate earth, not heaven. That's why going to heaven is always a temporary excursion for a human spirit. Because that's not your territory. Your territorial domain is earth. That's why you're coming back here. 
Even if God got to create a new one. And he will. Kingdom is a domain under which the influence of the king gets its impact. In other words, a kingdom is the domain that is influenced by the king. That's what kingdom means. Now, God's goal is the kingdom of God on earth. Some of you read the Bible many times. You've read the New Testament and the four gospels. You got confused, right? Because you keep saying sometimes Jesus would say the kingdom of heaven. Other times he would say the kingdom of God. Then he would say the kingdom of heaven. Then he would interchange. He said the kingdom of God. Now, whenever you use the kingdom of God, he's referring to headquarters. Get it? He's referring to the actual impact and influence of God himself. When he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's referring to its impact on earth. So he's talking about transfer of power. That's why he kept on saying the kingdom of God is like, and then he would explain these things called parables. So the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven are basically the same, except one of them is referring to the actual rulership of God. The other is referring to the transfer of that rulership to a territory. So the kingdom of God is God's rulership within the heart of a spirit of man. And the kingdom of heaven is when that impacts the man's environment. In other words, we can take the kingdom of heaven to our work every morning and influence that whole place with the kingdom of God by us taking the kingdom of heaven in us to that place. And that's why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven has come to us. It has arrived. The fall of mankind was a problem. In the... It, in the instatement of a new counterfeit kingdom called the kingdom of darkness, very important statement in the Bible, it calls this kingdom that man fell into the kingdom of darkness. Everybody's the kingdom of darkness. Write the word darkness down. What does darkness mean? It means ignorance. Hebrew word there for ignorance. The Hebrew word, very important. The Greek word is also the same word as absence of knowledge. In other words, the kingdom of darkness is a domain in which a king rules by ignorance. Interesting. So who is the king of the kingdom of darkness? Obviously Satan. The Bible says that the satanic ruler of this world has blinded the minds of those lest they see the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Once again it says what? The God of this world has what? Blinded the minds. What's your mind? That's your source of knowledge. He blinds your minds. It never says he blinds your eyes. The ruler of this world blinds the minds of those lest they see the glorious gospel of the kingdom of God. So we got two kingdoms going on here. We got a ruler who rules by ignorance. We call it darkness. And we got a kingdom that rules by knowledge, which is light. And that is why Satan's greatest power is what you don't know. What you don't know is where he gets his strength from. The first thing, ready for this, that Satan attacked in the Garden of Eden was Eve's and Adam's knowledge. You want to hear it? The first thing God gave Adam to protect him was what? Information. He says, if you don't touch that tree and you obey my commandments, you shall live. The day you eat from that tree, disobey my commandment, you will die. So what do they have? Information. They had knowledge. In chapter 3 of Genesis, Satan shows up. His first statement was, did God say? 
What is he talking about? Did you get information? Did God say, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die? And Eve responds, God did say. We did get information about the tree. Then Satan decides to attack the knowledge they had. He said, but God knows. Where did he get that from? He says, God told you that because God knows that if you eat from that tree, you won't surely die. You will become like him. They already were like him. His first attack was to doubt the knowledge you have. Is that deep? Very important. Satan's greatest attack against you is to doubt the knowledge you got from God. God says, you are healed by his stripe. Satan says, but you still feel the pain. He, now, now you got two different informations going on here. God says, you've been healed by his stripes 2,000 years ago. Satan said, but you feel the pain. Two informations coming into your bank of knowledge now. So now you got a decision to make whether to believe one information or the other information. And if you believe the pain part, then you are in the dark concerning the healed part. And this is why the kingdoms work against each other. The kingdom of darkness is to destroy you. The kingdom of light is to give you life. That's why you should walk in the light as he is in the light. What is light? Knowledge. The kingdom of darkness, therefore, gets its power from what you don't know. This is why I encourage you, everyone here, to keep reading, to keep studying, to attend every opportunity to learn. Every time I open the doors of this sanctuary and stand up here to speak, and every one of us begin to open the word and preach to you, if I was you, I would attend every meeting. Do you know that I attend every meeting I get a chance to here? Myself? Even if, I, even if I'm not speaking, I want to be here. Why? Because the word of God constantly changes your darkness into light. Some of you miss great opportunities to come in on Sunday nights because you don't see the importance of it, so you decide to stay home, maybe do some other things, relax, whatever. But you see, if you understand the Word of God and what it is, Satan hates the Word of God. So he loves to lullaby you to a good rest on Sunday night. He gives you ten different excuses why you can't come to get the Word. On Friday nights, Satan gets all the thing all worked out. Why? No matter what you learn, if it's not the Word of God, it doesn't destroy darkness. Thy word is light. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word. Word that comes from the mouth of God. It says, and Satan came immediately to steal the word. Now remember, Jesus made that statement concerning what? He says, uh, the power of the sower. The kingdom of God is like a man who goes into a field and he sows the seed out in the field. And the Bible says what? Some fall on stony ground, some fall on thin soil, some are choked by weeds, and some grow and become fruitful. Then he says, he says, but the birds came immediately and picked up the seed. As soon as he sows the seed, the birds came immediately, he says, and they picked up the seed. Then they asked him, Master, explain the parable to us. His first answer was, the sower sows the seed. And the bird is the evil one. Got the point? He said before the seed even gets set in the soil, the evil one goes after the word. Please notice he doesn't go after you. 
He comes immediately to steal the word. Why? Satan ain't afraid of you. If he's the ruler over darkness, then you ain't his fear. What's his fear? Light. <laughs> if his kingdom is darkness, his nightmare is light. And you are not light. You possess light when you possess the word. The entrance of your word bringeth light. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light. In other words, it's the word you need to keep getting, not fat on food. Satan is afraid of the word. He comes immediately to steal the word. So we got the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. We got the kingdom of revelation knowledge and the kingdom of ignorance. That's what we are fighting in. The Bible says you were born children of darkness. In other words, you were born stupid. Sorry. You were born ignorant. Until you meet God and start to learn his word, you are in darkness. That means if you went to college and got a PhD but don't know Jesus, you got a lot of dark information. You all hear me? You can have a PhD, DDD, five PhDs, but if you don't know God, you are educated in darkness. You are highly darkly educated. <laughs> the Pharisees had that problem. They were doctors of the law, the Bible says. They had doctor's degrees in the laws of their own learning. And the Bible says they were ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, it's popular to go to school. Some folks never graduate. You notice that? Some people got deep education. I mean, you run into a doctor who got a PhD in physiological studies in the body of man, and then he smokes cigarettes. That's always, that's always amazes me. A dentist eating candy. I mean, that amazes me. It amazes me. You can be totally educated in darkness and never see the light. That is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, who came at night, he was a doctor in the law of his day. She said, Nicodemus, you still must be born all over again because what you learn ain't no good. You know, it's kind of depressing for God to tell you you are a completely educated fool. That's what he's really saying about the kingdom of, 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 of darkness. Darkness is, is, is absence of the information from God. Look at Romans 12 too, very important statement. It says, and Paul is speaking to believers. That's important to begin with. The book of Romans was written to the church at Rome. It's a powerful church that was raised up there. And Paul really loved this church. And Paul wrote them this note, this letter. And the letter is really about their redemptive uh, access to God. And in chapter 12, verse 1, it starts this way. I beseech ye, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, well-pleasing unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, and be no longer conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Everybody say repent. Amen. Say it again. Amen. Who is he writing to? He is writing to Christians. That means believers, sons of God, who already had the Holy Spirit. But he says, you have not been changed. What's he talking about? He says, look, you can be saved, but not converted. Salvation takes place instantly. Conversion can take a lifetime. It's like moving from an old dilapidated house to a palace in one day. My God. All your bad habits come with you. 
Hello. You know, I heard a story, and this is a true story, they say, here in the Bahamas, where a family moved from one of our islands years ago. This is old, I'm not talking about your family. Uh, they moved from the islands, and they came to the capital island here in, the, in Nassau. And the story, when I heard the story, I said, now that is a graphic example of how the kingdom works. They came here, and all their life they used an outhouse toilet. An outhouse. So they came here, and they moved into a beautiful new home. That was an, it was an inheritance that it was left to them. And all their life they used an outhouse. When they came here, the story goes that they didn't know how to operate the new house. And when they used the toilet, they stood up on top of the toilet bowl and stooped down. You get a picture of this. It's graphic, isn't it? And they did that for months until somebody was visiting. <laughs> and the family that was visiting them was wondering, I, I saw your son, a little boy, in the toilet, a little kid. And they said, what is he doing? They said, why, what's the problem? And the, the, the family member says, the, the kid is standing up on the bowl, stooping down on top of the toilet bowl. They said, so what? That's how we live in the kingdom. We live in the kingdom of God, but bring our old habits, our old mindset. So Paul is saying, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transform is the, Hebrew, is the Greek word metamorphy. That means metamorphosis, which means to be a complete change. He's telling us that we haven't changed yet. To live in this kingdom, you need a complete revolution of mental state. You need to change the way you think. He says, by the way, the, the, the next verse is important. I'm not going to quote it up here, but it says, And then you will know what is God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. That's a powerful statement. He says, look, in order to capture God's perfect will for your life, you got to change your thinking. Now, I think Paul wrote these three words because I think they're different levels. God's good will is God's goodwill. You know, someone give you goodwill. Goodwill simply means that they tolerate you. You know, they, they kind of put up with you. Acceptable means that could pass. And I think a lot of times God says, okay, I know you're in there, but that could pass. But the third one is God's perfect will. You are now exactly what God wanted. And the only way to get there, Paul says, is to have your mind transformed. Have your life transformed by what? Renewing the way you think. So the thinking brings a transformation. The two kingdoms, therefore, are completely opposite to each other. Jesus, therefore, came to introduce this kingdom, and that's why there was such a conflict with him. Let's talk about briefly how he introduced the kingdom. Number one, he came to reintroduce the kingdom of God to man on earth. Matthew 4, 17. Very simple. Repent, for the kingdom of God has arrived. He also came to restore the righteousness and holiness of mankind. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. It says, For we have been made righteous by him. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
I write that word righteousness down, please. Jesus came to make us righteous again. The word righteous doesn't mean to wear a long dress, a long hat, an ugly face, and a white Bible, white shoes, and all them other things. It doesn't mean not to put on lipstick and don't wear no earrings, all that stuff. That's not righteousness. The word righteous is a legal word, not a religious word. And the word righteous means to position oneself. It means right positioning. Jesus came to make us righteous again, which means he came to put us back in the position where we are in right relationship with God again so that we can be qualified to receive the promises of God. This is very important to kingdom thinking. You see, when you live in a kingdom, uh, you're talking about a kingdom, a governing rulership, and you are the domain. So the kingdom of God is God's rulership over your life, which is his domain. And then when you rule the earth, that's the kingdom of heaven having its impact through your life on the physical planet. Think about this. <laughs> when Adam sinned, the Bible calls him unrighteous. In other words, Adam went out of position with the government and therefore all the rights that he had as a citizen were canceled. Uh, there may be some of you here who were in prison some time ago or maybe you have a family member who's in prison or know somebody who may be imprisoned. Do you notice something? Whenever a government has a citizen that breaks the law and they are incarcerated, what's the first thing they ask for? What do they ask for first? Your passport. Why? Can't travel no more. Now, what is your passport? Your passport is your highest component of citizenship. Without a passport, you are not a citizen anymore. Don't you think about this. Now, why does the government grab your passport as soon as you are considered improper in their kingdom? Because they make you an uncitizen. I didn't say non-citizen. Because you're still in the country. But you are an uncitizen. Everybody say un. un. Say un is not none. This is very important. You are still a citizen because you're in the country. But now you are under the complete judgment of the government. So the government takes away all of your rights. You become... <laughs> out of position with the government. Now, the government has what? A lot of promises they give to us, don't they? If you are a citizen, you got the right to own property, to buy food, to drive on the streets. You got, you got the right to protect property. You got the right to vote. You got the right to do all these things as a citizen. If you are in prison, you can vote. Did you know that? If you are in prison, you can drive where you feel like. You can't eat what you want to. You can't sleep when you want to. You can't go to bed when you want to. When you are in prison, they literally take over your life. You are under the control of what? Judgment. That's what happened to Adam when he disobeyed the government of God. God took back his passport and Adam became a prisoner of darkness. Therefore, he became ruled by a warden called Satan. 
Get the picture? Heaven took his passport back and the warden Satan took over his life and Adam became what? The Bible says we are slaves to sin. We are in prison. What Jesus say in Luke chapter 4 verse 18? He says, I have come to set what? The prisoners free. Why? You are in prison when you're born here in this earth. You are unrighteous. Unrighteous means that you are still God's image, but you have no rights. That's important. Jesus came to restore your positioning so you can claim your citizen promises. Hallelujah. Ah. God set up a, sep a, a temporary government in the Old Testament. It's called the covenant. The covenant became God's temporary government. God gave that covenant to Abraham. Matter of fact, uh, he established that covenant through Noah first. And you know Noah's great-great-grandson was Abraham. And God said, Abraham, here's how I'm going to rule. I'm going to give you a covenant. If you keep my covenant, then that will make you what? Righteous. What is righteous? Getting back in position with God. That's why it's so important to read the Old Testament. Don't miss tonight. Because you see, Abraham believed God's word and the Bible says that was made unto him righteousness, which means what? It didn't mean Abraham changed his robes and wore turbans and wore a cross around his neck. It meant that Abraham was now back in relationship with the government of God so now he could claim things that were in the covenant. Praise God. You all must say, listen to me. Abraham, therefore, became a qualified citizen again. Paul talks about Abraham a lot. Do you know why? Because after Abraham came who? Moses. And by the time Moses showed up, these people knew nothing about God. They were in Pharaoh's prison for 400 years which means that they didn't even know God that's why Moses had to go to them back to Egypt and had to tell them introduce them to God the people ask him who's this God not just Pharaoh the Israelites didn't know God that's right. so God said look I got a big problem not only don't they know the covenant of Abraham but they don't even know the God of the covenant so he gave Abraham what a list of laws called what? The Ten Commandments. And God says the first thing to tell them is don't worship no other God. He's trying to change their minds. Change their minds. Now, this is important here because you see Moses ended up with a list of laws. Don't, don't, don't. Abraham had no laws. He just had a promise and he believed it and he became what? Righteous. He became in line with God again. Now God says, for, for me to get them where Abraham was, I got to even get them to believe in me first. See the difference? Now what happened was, the last government element of God was the Ten Commandments. And so, when Jesus came, Christ didn't come to really talk about the Ten Commandments. He really came to talk about what Abraham got. Are you with me? So, when Paul writes, Paul says, when God promised Abraham, he was not speaking to Abraham, but he was speaking to his seed, which was Christ. That he would come to make us righteous. Jesus came to line you back up with the government of God so you can claim your rights. In the United States just recently, 
I'm afraid to talk because it's a big argument right now. But in the United States recently, <laughs> the president, the former president, Bill Clinton, took a presidential prerogative. You all been hearing this in the news a lot, right? His prerogative is that he could pardon certain amount of people as the president before he leaves office. He decided to pardon some people. Now, pardon is a dangerous thing. Because no matter what you've done, if the king or the ruler pardons you, do you pardon? Now, the people who he pardoned, some of them were in jail. Others were fugitives on the run. The reason why there's so much argument about a few of these people is because the crimes that they are guilty of, people are saying, ain't no way we can let them go. But then the law says, constitutionally, if they are pardoned, it's as if they have done nothing. They get their passport back, they can travel where they want to, they can work where they want to, they can do business, they can buy and sell, they have no limitations. Like they never did anything. Do you know what Jesus did on the cross for you? Some of your backgrounds are so terrible. If folks find out about you, they won't sit with you no more. But there's a king who sat on a throne one day with blood dripping down his face and he said, pardon. Tell your neighbor, I am right with the government again. Full rights. You know, remember the covenant of Abraham, eh? Jesus did not use, oh Lord help me here, the covenant of Moses. Because that was an educational covenant. He used the covenant of what? Abraham. That's the covenant of faith. There was a woman sitting in a building just like this, in a meeting just like this one day. She was sitting in the center somewhere, according to the word of God, and she was humped over. He was teaching and she was humped over. She couldn't even look up. She was humped over because she had a back problem. Jesus was standing up, speaking, and the Bible says he fastened her eyes on because she couldn't see him. You know, when he talks, he wants to see your face. He's God. So she's humped over, and Jesus looks at this woman. And the Bible says, obviously he stared in such a way that everybody knew he gonna do something. It says the Pharisees, that's the big bishops who sit on the front row, all of them got nervous. And they start sip sipping. And they said, oh dear, it's a Sabbath day. What's he gonna do now? He gonna do something. He, you know, he ain't supposed to work on the Sabbath. The Bible says Jesus heard them. Yes, Don't let God hear you because he'll do exactly the opposite of what you sip sipping about. It says he heard them, and before he addressed the woman, he took care of a righteousness problem. You missed it. He said, look, I'm not here to talk religion, he says. I am here to talk government, citizenship, legal stuff. Now let's talk, he says. He says, this woman, first of all, isn't she a daughter of Abraham? Now, ladies and gentlemen, Abraham was alive thousands of years before this event. Come on, somebody. He said, but let me tell you something, people. This woman's citizenship is in order. Y'all better sit up straight. There's some stuff you're supposed to get this week, not because you are a Bahamian. 
Thank you, sister. See, the Bahamian a society may have locked some doors on you. They may decide that certain places you can't go. You can't go up the ladder. You can't go out and start a business. You can't. That, that's all right. That's their kingdom. But you operating under a different government. This woman was under a government of the Pharisees and scribes who said, keep your disease until you die. But here comes the king. Walking in the service one day. And the king said, let me tell you something. That woman... She has a passport, and it doesn't say Pharisee. <laughs> Glory, hallelujah. He said that woman's passport says kingdom of God, Abraham's daughter. And then he says, if she be a daughter of Abraham, which you all agree with, then ought not. <laughs> Let me get out of here. I know you got to go home. He said, ought not, tell your neighbor, ought not I be blessed. Say, ought not I have be, be healed right now. Come on, lift your hands, lift your hands, lift your hands. Say, ought not, all my diseases go away. Ought not, every bill is canceled and paid. Ought not, my business prosper. Ought not I be promoted from heaven. Go ahead and praise the Lord for a second. Clap your hands, glorify God. not this woman be healed and the Bible says they were quiet and he said to the woman stand up hey boy tell you, say tell your neighbor stand up go ahead and do what they say now stand up we're gonna get this anointing on us too we're gonna get that same blessing the woman got the Bible says all of those who are sons of Abraham are also in Christ Jesus and therefore the promises of Abraham are also the promises of the sons of God. Tell your neighbor I'm in the covenant. Lord hallelujah I feel anointing coming on me. Somebody gonna get blessed today. Woo! Hallelujah. Pick your Bible up please. We're gonna close with a scripture. Turn to Galatians chapter 3, please tell your neighbor, I'm in the kingdom. My passport is in order. And I'm going to the government right now. I'm going to get my promises. Galatians chapter 3. Oh my God, this thing is heavy. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Watch this. Everybody got it? Read it out loud. Out loud. I want the devil to hear you read your citizens' rights. It says in verse 26, together, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and is according shout somebody come on praise his name lift your hands and praise the Lord out loud everybody just go ahead and shout the citizen try you are qualified to be citizens of the kingdom of God God's total will I want you to hold hands with your neighbor right now and tell your neighbor if you knew who I was going to become You'll be glad to touch my hands. Hold somebody disagree. Now in our kingdom, in our kingdom, keep holding hands. In our kingdom, 
Our king says, wherever any two shall touch. And agree concerning anything in the Constitution. It shall be done, Brother Pat. Let me tell you something. If you are not born again by the Spirit today, your passport got the wrong stamp in it. If you came to this meeting today and you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you by faith in Jesus, you are an illegal immigrant. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. That means, you know, illegal immigrant got to sneak around, hide. <laughs> they have no rights to, to anything in the country. If you're here today, don't know Christ as your Savior. You got the wrong passport. But please notice I didn't say that you are non-righteous. You are simply unrighteous. Un means that you're supposed to be. You got a right to be. It's just that you ain't lined up yet. That's why Christ has come. He came to bring us righteousness. And he does it by what? Restoring the Holy Spirit back to man. His words there in the book of Luke 11, he says, It is my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God, which is the Holy Spirit. Why? The Holy Spirit reconnects us to the government. Religion doesn't do that. And that is why it's important for you to receive the Holy Spirit. Not just go to these religious meetings and read books and sing hymns. You got to receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit reconnects you to the government. See? The Bible says the kingdom of God is love, joy, peace. Where? In the Holy Spirit. He reconnects you to the government. He puts you back in line with the government. Then you can claim your rights. I want you to leave this place today. In going into this week, I don't want you to think about fumbling with your rights as a kingdom of God citizen. I want you to understand the rights you have. I told a, 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 a someone last week when I was in Tampa, Florida, I was telling this, com this uh, conference I was speaking at, I said, do you know that you have a right to go to see the president anytime? They were in shock. I said, in a democracy, the citizens have access to see the prime minister or the president anytime. In our country, you could demand to see the Prime Minister. Now whether he will see you is a different problem. No, this ain't funny. Constitutionally, he cannot say he don't want to see you. Now don't all go rush up there tomorrow. But I'm telling you, legally, as a citizen, you have a right to demand to see the highest executive in this country. And legally, you can take him to court if he doesn't want to see you. The kingdom of God is the same way. Once you qualify as a citizen, then the Bible says, come boldly. Don't stop to see Mary. Don't pay no dues to St. Francis of Assisi. Y'all talk to me before I go home. He said, look, you can come. Don't come crawling saying, Lord, if you will, let, me, let your grace squeeze me through. Lord, if you got a little space, let me. Shut up. He says, just burst down the door. Come in. Why? You are a citizen. A blood-bought citizen. 
Oh, I love to be audacious when I know I'm right. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. Some of y'all ain't been praying right the last four or five years. You come to the Lord, please. Lord, please. I want you to get the kingdom mindset. You go and say, Holy Lord, King of the kingdom, based on the constitution, no weapon form can be supposed to prosper, and this one look like it's prospering. Will you please take care of that for me? Come boldly. Okay, Lord, that's enough of this headache. According to my rights in the kingdom, none of these diseases shall come upon me. That was upon Pharaoh, and this was upon Pharaoh. Will you please handle this? And the health department comes. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Don't ever miss a session in this series. Because if you get this right, you're going to take over where you work in. All the things you've been under, you're going to be on top of them. He has overcome the world, therefore you, he says, will also overcome the world if you walk in his kingdom. You can find that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Go ahead and pray right now. Thank you for the word. Speak out the kingdom message. Father, we praise you that you have made us citizens in your kingdom, that you have given us, O oh Lord, your revelation today, that we are legal rights kingdom citizens in your work. You've given us the power of dominion, the power of leadership, the power of control, the power of rulership, the mandate of mastering. Oh God, let that spirit rise up in us. Let the spirit of the kingdom rise up in the people that will do exploits for you, Lord. I rebuke the spirit of oppression and depression. I curse the spirit of confusion from this building. This people is filled with light. The word has gone to their hearts. Now, Satan, I command you, you will not steal this word from the people in Jesus' name. Oh, come on, agree with that, folks. Satan, I bind you on earth. And we agree that you are bound. You will not steal the word the people have heard today. It shall take root. It shall bring forth fruit. And there shall be abundance of fruit in the kingdom of God. And there shall be life and life everlasting. Thank you, Father, for your work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastors, come please and stand up front here. I want to do kingdom business before we leave here, please. Remember, you don't leave until the king gives you release. That's royal etiquette. So remain in your standing. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Rediscovering the Kingdom series. For more information on this and other teachings of Miles Monroe, please visit Destiny Image online at www.destinyimage.com or visit Bahamas Faith Ministries online at www.bfmmm.com. of Jesus was a kingdom on earth in the hearts of men. Rediscovering the kingdom will defy almost every concept you have about religion. The message of Jesus was a message of a kingdom from heaven on earth. That was the message of Jesus.
your thinking will be rearranged and your life empowered as Dr. Miles Monroe shifts the focus away from religion toward the ultimate issue, the kingdom of God. Jesus came to restore these kings who lost their kingship and their kingdom. Let us now join the seminar in progress. This morning, about two hours ago, I was stuck in Detroit. Uh, I couldn't get back, and it was about 28 degrees, so you know I wanted to get back here. There was snow all over the place, so I said, get me back where God lives. I was speaking yesterday morning and Friday night at the Christian Business Network up there, headed by our, one of our trustees, Jerome Edmondson, and it's a wonderful seminar. There was about a thousand business people up there, and it was a fantastic success. And I just got back uh, this morning, a couple hours ago. Pastor Richard, I understand, did an awesome job this morning in our first service. God bless you. Preaching on the power of dominion of the kingdom of God. I'm going to pick up where he left off. And tonight, bring your Bible. Tell your neighbor it's going to be good tonight. Tell your neighbor the word of God is all you get. We're going to get into the word tonight. Matter of fact, uh, we're going to have Pastor Gene sharing in our session tonight along with myself. And we're going to be teaching the word of God right from the root. So come prepared to go into the book that we've been studying, the book of Genesis, moving into the work. And I know God is going to continue to grow us up. Today our topic is going to be very simple. And that is the kingdom mandate of Jesus' assignment. And I want you to take notes this morning because i got a lot to cover in a short time. Our topic this morning is the kingdom mandate, which is the assignment of Jesus. What a topic to talk about. The assignment of Jesus. All those joining us by television, you are in the right place at the right time to hear the right message from the right God. That's Jehovah Jireh. We're so glad you're joining us here from the beautiful Bahama Islands. We welcome you all around the world watching our program today. And you are part of a series we're going through the Bible. Studying especially from the book of Genesis, also the New Testament. We're studying the kingdom of God from the New Testament. And I'm starting this year off dealing with discovering your kingdom leadership. And we're going to get into this in more detail, but the session today is dealing with the assignment of Jesus, which is kingdom mandate. Everybody in the world was born to fulfill an assignment. In other words, every human was created by God to solve a problem. There's something that God wanted done that required your existence. So you are not a mistake. Can I hear an amen? Imagine that. God wanted something to fly, so he made birds. He wanted something to swim, so he made fish. There's something God wanted done, so he created you. So your place on this planet is related to an assignment that God had in his mind before anything was. And that makes you very critical to God's global and universal program. Today we're going to talk about the assignment of somebody who is the creator of all things, and that is Jesus Christ. What was his assignment? And I do want to say that uh, when we talk about the assignment of Jesus, we're really talking about the assignment of God. And uh, when we look at the assignment of Jesus, it's very clear. First we're going to understand what did God have in mind when he sent Jesus? I want to pick up reading a statement from the book of Matthew 24, a verse that we read last week, and then one from verse, Matthew verse 4, 4 verse 17. 
The first verse I want you to take a note of. Read it with me out loud, please. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached where? In all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then what would happen? Then the end would come. So the end of the world is predictable. A lot of people say, we don't know when the world will end. Well, Jesus tells us when. The only thing we don't know is the hour, the exact hour. But we do know what's going to make it happen. And it's found in that verse. He says, when this good news of the kingdom of God is preached into all the world, then the end will come. Matthew 4, 17. Jesus began to preach. Matthew 4, 17 is the beginning of his ministry on earth. The first statement of Jesus as a businessman is the declaration of his mission. Every effective company has to have a mission statement. Every effective organization must have a clear vision statement. Every successful family needs to have a clear objective in mind to be successful. And the first thing you present as an organization to be successful is you've got to define and crystallize your mission statement. This statement, Matthew 4, 17, is the first public statement declared by Jesus concerning his mission on earth, his assignment. Let's read it together. Matthew 4, 17, his first public statement. First word is what? Repent. So his first word has to do with your mentality. Repent means to change your mind, to change the way you think. Then his next statement is, because the kingdom of heaven has arrived. The King James says, is at hand. So Christ declares right away in his first statement what his business is about. He says, my business is twofold. Number one, I come to change your thinking. Why? Because I came to reintroduce a kingdom. That's my assignment. I came to bring back to the planet the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of heaven, and I came to change your thinking so you can live in it. That was his assignment. That is why when they asked him about the end of the world, he said the end of the world will happen when the whole world gets my assignment. What's the assignment? In Matthew 24, he says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to every nation, every ethnos, every group. That's why Christ ain't going to come right now. A lot of people are preaching and prophesying that this is the end times. I got a problem with that. Because we got 6.2 billion people on earth. One billion is now in India. India just became over a billion people. And 98% of that one billion are Hindus, Buddhists, and Muslims. 10% are Christians. You know God cannot come unless they hear about the kingdom of God. Then there's one billion in China. And 1% of the people in China, 1 billion, 1% are Christians. That means most of them are Buddhists, Shintoists, they are Muslims, or they are involved in some spiritism movement. They have never heard the gospel of the kingdom of God. In Africa alone, there are over 500 million people in just northern Africa and another 800 million people down in southern Africa in those states 
So you're talking about almost a billion people or more in the African continent, and many of them are animists. They evolve in all kinds of spiritist worship. But thank God Christianity has taken a stronghold in Africa. But many of them have still not heard the gospel of the kingdom of God. But here's the saddest news of all. In Europe and in the West where we live, in the Americas and in the Caribbean and in Canada, <laughs> there are over 80% Christians. But I dare challenge a thought that 90% of them have never heard the gospel of the kingdom of God. Many Christians have never heard the kingdom message. And that's why we're teaching this in this series. Much of what we've heard has been the means to the kingdom, but not the kingdom. We've heard about the way to the kingdom, but not the kingdom. As a matter of fact, we have made the process the gospel. And this is why most Christians don't know about the kingdom of God. I am here to tell you that Jesus never preached born again as the gospel. Jesus mentioned the term born again once in his whole ministry. And we preach it all the time. He never preached it. Secondly, he never said those words to the public. He never said, thou shalt be born again to the multitudes. He never did. He mentioned it only once in his ministry. And it was mentioned 2 a.m. in the morning to an old man who was also a, a, a priest in the temple. At 2 a.m. Just to one person. And yet we've made born again the gospel. But there's one thing that Jesus did speak all the time. And we find it in his first statement in Matthew 4, wasn't it? What does he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has arrived. And from that point forward, he had only one message. The kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God. I mean, every single day, he just had one message. The kingdom of God is like. Every parable, the kingdom of God is like. Every miracle, the kingdom has come upon you. Every authority, the kingdom of God speaks. He preached one message, the kingdom of God. And yet most of us don't know what he's talking about. And that's why we've got to study his assignment because his assignment is your assignment. He left us to complete the work that he started in the ministry. He turned it over to his disciples, which is what you're supposed to be, and he told them exactly what to preach and what to teach and what to share. And there's no doubt about it. Uh, one more thing I want to say before we get into the next statement. And that is this, Jesus really never preached prosperity, healing, baptism in the Holy Ghost. The things that we preach as the kingdom, no he didn't. He did those things, he, he showed those things, but they were not his message. His message was this kingdom thing. Why? Because the kingdom is the entire motivation of God. Why did Jesus come to preach the kingdom of God? First of all, it has to do with God's original plan. First of all, God's original plan begins this way. God's intent was to extend his 
heavenly kingdom on earth through mankind. That's his first intent. So in order to find out God's, God's destination, you've got to discover where God been. The Bible is a strange book because the Bible is really a book that takes you backward to where you came from. God is taking us back to where we fell from. We call the disobedience of Adam, we call it the fall. So what I'm going to do is show you what fall means because it was so simple to me years ago, I missed it. Here's what fall means. Look at me. I'm holding in my hand a book. I'm going to place this book in a certain position. That's why I want the book. That's my original place for the book. Well, the book has a problem and the book falls. So that's called the fall. Now, if I'm going to restore this book to where it fell from, what am I going to do? I'm going to put it where? Okay, so this is what God did. The book couldn't get itself back up. <laughs> so God had to come down, pick the book back up, and he personally places it back where it fell from. Now, if I were to pick this book back up and place it over here, did I restore it? No. Why? Because I placed it where it did not fall from. So restoration means to store back to the original place. What we have been doing as religious people, not me but y'all, is we've been trying to tell God to put us somewhere we didn't fall from and not where we fell from. We keep telling God to put us in heaven. We didn't fall from heaven. We fell from authority in the earth. <laughs> Satan fell from heaven, not man. So heaven is not God's goal for you. And this is why religion has been such a challenge to God. Because his difficulty is getting his own family to get the message. We sing songs like, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. In when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. And that song sounds so good. And while we're singing that, we're thinking about mortgage, phone bill, light bill, water bill, tuition fees. We're getting away from that stuff. That's why we like that song. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. We love those songs. But those songs are not God's goal for you. God's goal is to get you back where you fell from. Where'd you fall from? According to the word of God, you fell from where God placed you. Where did God place you? He placed you in the book of Genesis in dominion over the fish, the birds, the plants, the cattle, and all the earth. That's where God placed you. You were established by God 
to be the king dominion over the earth. So restoration is God putting you back in dominion over the earth. So the program of God is really originally to extend his kingdom on earth and secondly to establish a family of sons not servants who would establish the kingdom on earth for him as sons and not subjects. Also God wants to establish therefore a commonwealth of citizens not Christians. God desired therefore relationship and not religion. And that's important to note because you see we have made what God wants into a religion and God really hates this stuff. God doesn't want religion. He wants relationship. God wants you to be closer to him on Monday than you are on Sunday. Because the rituals impress people, but the relationship impresses God. God's more concerned there about a daily communion with him between you and he spiritually than he is about you standing up in a worship service singing hymns. Because that's really a demonstration of these traditions that we go through. But many times we have no relationship with God. That's why in the Garden of Eden with Adam there was no church meetings, no prayer meetings, no altars, no, no sacrifices, no, no worship songs, there was no clapping, there was no dancing, there was no hymn books, there were no prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers. There was none of this stuff we call religion. And yet there was what? Man and God. And man was doing what? He walked and talked with God, the Bible says, in the cool of the day without having to go through a workup through a worship team. That's what you fell from. Now if God's going to restore us, he has to be what? Truthful to himself. If God restores you to something you didn't fall from, then God is lying. And the Bible said, let God be true and every man a liar. Which means God's ultimate program is to put you back in leadership authority over the earth. And he wants us to do that now. Now, a lot of people say, well, we'll become in authority in the future, in the new earth. Uh, we'll, <laughs> you know, when we all get to heaven and, and then we all come back, then we'll rule the earth and, and that's when God, so we'll just kind of suffer right now and be poor and, and, and catch trouble. And then when Christ takes us out of this mess to the rapture, then we'll come back and then we can have our chance and we can really be in charge. That's not religious people think. Read the statement of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. He says, look, repent. Why? He didn't say the kingdom of God will come later. He said the kingdom of God has arrived. The disciples says, but we know in the future. He said, no, no, no. The kingdom of God is already with you. And when I release the Holy Ghost, he's going to be in you. The kingdom of God is not, hmm, it's not really a physical territory. The kingdom of God is a jurisdiction over which the influence of God have full authority. The kingdom of God is actually in my neighborhood right now where my house is. Why? Because I live there. That piece of property that I own is the kingdom of God's property. 
Oh, help me, Lord. Wherever you are and you influence, the kingdom of God has come to that place. Let me break it down a little bit. The Bible never calls you a Christian. Pagans did that. The Bible never calls you a subject. The heathens do that. The Bible never calls you a, a servant. Religion calls you that. The Bible says that many have believed on him to them give you the authority to call themselves what? Sons of God, not servants. We're family to God. Now, the Bible also calls you, write this word down please, ambassador. Everybody say ambassador. The Bible does call you that. You are ambassador. We name this, this building properly. A lot of people don't understand why I named this building the Diplomat Center. It's because I understand what we're here for. Ambassadors work in diplomatic centers. They do diplomacy for the government they represent. So when you walk through this door, you ain't a Christian no more. You are suddenly an appointee of the government, an official agency representing the kingdom government of God. You are now sitting in the legislative session of this particular gathering of diplomats and I am the Chief Secretary of State and I'm delivering to you from the Constitution the mind of my government so you can know what to do when you go out of here. I know exactly my position and I know what I'm doing. Everybody say ambassador. ambassador. Say it again. Ambassador. Repeat after me, I'm no longer Christian. I am an ambassador of Christ. See, if you think correctly, you live correctly. Let me tell you something about ambassadors. When a country appoints an ambassador and sends them into a foreign territory to represent their government, do you know what that country does first? The first thing that the country does who appoints the ambassador is that they purchase property in that country. Now, the property they purchase is actually the country. I'm going to say this slowly because some of you don't understand diplomacy. When a country buys property in another country for its embassy so that its diplomats can do its work, that property in that country becomes the country that bought it. It becomes the country. That is why if a Bahamian has a problem and somehow the law is after them and they somehow got into the United States Embassy's property, do you realize that the police cannot cross that barrier? See, you didn't know that. It's illegal for them to enter that property. Why? That's the United States. They must now apply to the U.S. government whose jurisdiction that is and request that the government of the United States release that Bahamian out of the property so he could be arrested. You see, you didn't know that. That's how powerful an embassy is. Because the kingdom of that country is over the property it owns.
It's called asylum. Are you listening to me? So, wherever the authority of a government is, that becomes the government's property. And therefore, all the authority and rights and powers of that country comes to effect on that property. God says, you are ambassadors of Christ in heaven, and you are what? You are sojourners in the earth. Sojourners means you are in a foreign country, but the property belongs to the government of heaven. I like what the government of my country says. My government said, now here's the constitution. The constitution says in article, well, it's, sub, it's section Psalm, subsection 68, article 14. It says, the earth is still the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. And all that, in other words, this whole place is my government's property. In other words, if you don't take charge, then it stays under someone else's influence. That is why you can cast the devil out of the earth. Because this is not his legal territory. It belongs to God's government and you are his citizens. Do you realize that when you bought a car, your car became government property? Hey, Lord, I feel good. When you got your house or your apartment, every time you pay your rent, you are confirming that this piece of property belongs to the government of God. But you see, we think religious. That's why the devil lives in our house. <laughs> Hallelujah. God told Trina Vision, he said, look, I tell you all what, the death angel is going to come over Egypt. And the death angel is going to kill everything. So tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make your house heaven's property. That's kingdom business he's dealing with. He said, look, there's somehow, I've, could, I've got to put a sign over your property so the angel will know that's we own. You get it? So God said, I want you to kill a lamb and dip the branch in the blood and put the blood across the lintel and the doorpost. He says, and when the dead angel comes, he'll look and he'll go, heaven's property, and he'll pass over. When you are a citizen, you are under government jurisdiction. When you are a Christian, you are under religion. You know, I was uh, living in a hotel uh, last night before I got here, and they put me on the 11th floor. It was a request. But they were going to put me on the 14th floor. And I said, no ma'am, I do not live above the 11th floor. She said, why? I said, I'm a diplomat. <laughs> she said, oh, okay, I understand. Sorry, sir. And she put me on the 11th floor. Some of you are trying to figure out what I mean. Eh? No government leader and no diplomat of any country will live above the 12th floor. Do you know why? Because the 
the fire engine ladder. <laughs> Cannot go above the 13th floor. See, y'all like, y'all behaviors, y'all like behind. First one to heaven when the fire comes. You just learned some diplomacy, yeah? As a part of the, of the diplomatic corps in my country, we had to have briefing. They had to brief me. And they told me certain things that I must not do. And that was one of them. Secondly, you will never have the two top leaders traveling together in diplomacy. Because when two leaders are together, there's a danger to the whole country. Because if both die, there's chaos. So the prime minister and the deputy will never fly on the same flight. You didn't notice that. President Bush and Dick Cheney will never travel together on the same airplane. It goes against diplomacy. That's why when two powerful men and women of God get together, they ain't supposed to fly together. You see, because all the hell get excited. Two at one stroke. Come on, talk to me. Devil ain't no fool. Where there's a congregation of power, that's when Satan gets excited because he gets to destroy a lot at once. That's why Christ told the disciples, meet me on the other side. You go by yourself. Why? Because you all been in me now for three years. You all are dangerous. See, you understand? Kingdom thinking. When an ambassador comes into your presence, it's not a person anymore. It's a country. <laughs> Hallelujah. When you meet an ambassador, you're not meeting a person. You're meeting a country. So when you meet me, you're not meeting a person anymore. You're meeting heaven. And when they meet you at your work tomorrow, they're not supposed to be meeting a person. But you see, you're too religious. You're still thinking you're just a, 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 you know, a sinner saved by grace. No, you are a nation walking on two legs. That's why an ambassador is protected more than the president. Hmm. They, would, they would assassinate a president before they kill an ambassador. Did you know that? Because the president represents the votes, but the ambassador represents the nation. That's why God calls you an ambassador, not a president. If you touch an ambassador, the entire army comes to get you. If you touch a president, it's called an assault. If you touch an ambassador, it is called an international incident. Y'all are slow. That means when you touch me, Every angel picks up a sword. Yes, Y'all ain't got this yet. That's why I'm such an audacious young man. Yes, sir. I'm bold because I understand the constitution yes, of my country. Yes. 
Jesus came to restore that kingdom of sons back to earth. That's why it was him who told Pilate, when Pilate says, I've got power to give you life with my thumb or to give you death. Why? I represent Caesar. Christ never spoke during the trial until Pilate said that. Because now Pilate talking kingdom talk. So Jesus cleared his throat, <clears throat> blood all dried all over his face, and he said, Mr. Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And even now, if I give the signal, that in your Bible, if I give the signal right now, 10 legions of angels will come into this castle and wipe this place out. He threatened Pilate. I don't know what happened to Pilate, but Pilate must have felt the words in his bones. Something shuddered in his body. And Pilate, the Bible says, from that time forward, tried to let him go. Lift your hands and praise God. That's a powerful threat. <laughs> and Jesus said, just like the Father sent me, so send I you. When somebody threatens you tomorrow, so they're going to fire you, just smile and say, <laughs> my kingdom is not of this world. And even now, if I give the signal, <laughs> oh, come on, praise the Lord, somebody. See, now, the problem with you religious people is you think I'm joking. I'm serious. The Bible says the angels have been given charge. Charge means responsibility concerning you to keep you in all of your ways. And they are ministering spirits sent forth to protect and minister to those and to do the bidding of those who are heirs of salvation. Hebrews chapter 2. You've got thousands of angels waiting for your orders. And all you're saying is, I'm a Christian. I'm suffering. Angel saying, you ain't supposed to be suffering. You just ain't giving me nothing to do. Lift your right hand. Repeat after me. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Angels, I know who I am. I am an ambassador. And you work for my government. I command you, go to my house now and watch over all that belongs to me. Go to my car, protect my property. Go over my children, preserve them. Angels, go into this week ahead of me and make my way straight. In the name of the Lord Jesus, go. Koshama, see they gone. It's authority. It's authority. Therefore, God's real purpose is kingdom. And it's found in this verse we always talk about. Let us make man in our own image, our likeness, and let them have what? Dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air. That means the rule of God in the visible world was God's original desire. I want to repeat these statements, if you can write them down, if you're interested. To rule, God's program is to rule the visible from the invisible, through the invisible, living in the invisible, that is in the visible, on the visible. 
In other words, God wanted to rule the seen from the unseen, living in the unseen that is in the seen on the seen. Got that, young man? We try it again. God's desire was to rule the seen world through the unseen Holy Spirit, living in the unseen spirit of man, in the seen body on the seen earth. So the key to God's rulership is that unseen living in the unseen. As long as the Holy Spirit is inside a person's spirit, then God's king dominion, king dominion, kingdom, his rulership can happen on earth. So when a man loses the Holy Spirit, then God's kingdom cannot happen on earth. Are you with me? Let me put it this way. If you've been appointed ambassador of a country, well, we got a good example here. We got a good example here. I was reading the newspaper two days ago, and, and the cover story was uh, Mr. Schechter, who was the former United States ambassador to the Bahamas. You all read that story? He has been what? Recalled. Okay, why? Because he was serving under a different government administration. When the government changed, oh hallelujah, then his powers were canceled. I'm going to bless myself in a minute. See, when you change governments, the power doesn't work no more. You're going to get it in a minute. There's a kingdom of darkness and there's a kingdom of light. And you were born into the kingdom of darkness. That's why you couldn't help sinning. The power was in, in vogue. It, it was working. But the Bible says Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to set you free from the kingdom of darkness and to translate you into the kingdom of light. And therefore we were once children of darkness, but now are we what? Children of light. And therefore we walk in the light as he's in the light. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed from all of our sins. And we have authority and fellowship one with another. That means when you were taken from the kingdom of darkness and put in the kingdom of light as an ambassador, all of Satan's power against you was no longer working. That means you cannot represent the devil anymore. Now, Mr. Schechter was withdrawn because his government changed. They're sending their own ambassador back to the Bahamas. The one that the, the president will appoint. Now, if Mr. Schechter decides to stay in the Bahamas, and parade around as ambassador of the United States, guess what? Nothing happens. He can walk up the streets, tell everybody I'm an ambassador. No one will shake his hands, bow to him, respect him anymore. Why? Because he is par par parading himself as something that he has no authority for. Sounds like some people who joined the church. Never had an encounter with Jesus. Never been born again. Never had the Holy Ghost in their lives. And yet they come to church taking communion. Saying you are an ambassador doesn't make you an ambassador. And Mr. Schechter is only ambassador as long as the government gives him that authority. Christ says, as many as believed on me, to them give I the power to call themselves sons of God. You realize that if you have given your life to the Lord and believe in him and receive the spirit, that it doesn't matter what no one say with you anymore. He told you you were son of God. 
the government say you're a son of God. I don't care if you've been drinking dope, smoking grass, eating dumb food, whether you've been sleeping around or maybe being a prostitute, it doesn't matter anymore. Once you connect to the government of God, you are a son of God. Say it with me, I'm a son of God. Say it loud. Say it like you mean it. If you're a son of God, then God is your father. And if we are all sons of God, then we are all family, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Shake hands with your brother in the Lord right now. By the way, let me ask you a question. If you are someone's son, then you carry their last name. <laughs> so Isaac was called son of Abraham. <laughs> you are called son of God. Nothing's wrong with that. That's your last name. We got to think that way. That's what he wanted. God's desire, therefore, was to set up this kingdom of children who would represent him in the, in the, in the earth, and they would become his reps. Now, ladies and gentlemen, once you lose the connection with the government, what happens? You're no longer a representative. Mr. Schechter watching a TV program probably somewhere in Texas. I spoke with him the other day, he's in Texas. That's where he's gonna live actually. He, he's no longer an ambassador. So he cannot represent the country. When Adam sinned, the government would recall the Holy Ghost. Get it? When Adam sinned, when he disobeyed God, the government recalled its power because the the ghost that the government sends is a holy ghost and Adam became an unholy container <laughs> so the government withdrew its power holy ghost went back so now we got a guy parading like he representing God without any power that's why the devil began to run our lives when Adam sinned because now we have no more power from the government. Oh, Lord, help me. So from Adam, chapter 3 of Genesis, all the way to Matthew, chapter 4, we have a, a family of ambassadors misrepresenting their government. They have no power. In the Old Testament, you may find this interesting, but in the Old Testament, do you realize that the Holy Ghost couldn't live in anybody all through the Old Testament? Why? Because the spirit of the government is holy, and the vessels are unholy. And there's not been any sacrifice made that was good enough to make the vessels holy. So the Holy Ghost only did one thing in the Old Testament. He would come upon them, they would prophesy, and he'd leave. He'd come upon Samson, he'd be strong, then he'd leave. He'd come upon Elisha, he would work a miracle, then he'd leave. He'd come upon Jacob, he would do something great, then he would leave. He'd come upon Enoch, he would do a great work, he would leave. He would come upon the works of Gideon and upon uh, Josiah. He'd come upon these great people and these work of miracles, then he would leave. Why? He couldn't live inside of them and therefore they could not execute the administration of the kingdom of God every day. 
another statement that is used for the kingdom of God coming is the word of the Lord came unto me. You ever heard that? That means what? The spirit of the Lord came unto me. All through the Bible, the word of the Lord came unto me, I prophesied, and then he left. This happened all the way up to Malachi, last prophet in the Old Testament. Came upon Malachi. But Joel said something. Can I stand up in the chair? Joel says, now I don't understand this, but he came upon me this morning and he told me something. And in chapter 2, Joel says, there's a day coming when the Spirit of God will come upon all flesh. And he shall live in the young people and the old people and the young child have visions and the old shall dream dreams and the young women shall prophesy. He said the day is coming when this army shall be raised up full of the Holy Ghost. He says and that day is yet to come. It'll be the day of the Lord. Who's the Lord? Jesus. So Jesus comes back to earth. First declaration. Repent. Who was Jesus? Oh, just, just hang with me for a couple more minutes. Listen to what it says. It says, Jesus went into the desert led by the Holy Spirit, and he was tested of the devil. He passed the test, and the Bible says angels came and ministered unto him. Is that right? Then it says, and Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost without measure. You want to hear a shock? As long as Jesus was on the earth, there's no record of the Holy Ghost being anywhere else. Nothing happened anywhere by the Holy Ghost. Because every ghost of the Holy Ghost was in him. Hallelujah. Why? He came to bring what? The connection to the kingdom. That's why he says the kingdom of God has returned. Why? I'm carrying it. Jesus' number one goal was not to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, or feed 5,000. That was not his goal. His ultimate assignment was to get that ghost back in you. That's why Calvary is not the gospel. <laughs> Even the blood is not the gospel. The gospel is what? The good news is that you can get the connection back. You can get the Holy Ghost back in you. You can be reconnected, Mr. Schechter, back to the administration in Washington. Lord have mercy. God says, repent, because the kingdom, what is the kingdom? All he had was the Holy Ghost. He said, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And they asked him, how will that be? He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. If your son asks you for a, a bread, a roll, you wouldn't give him a stone. And if he asks you for an egg, you wouldn't give him a serpent. And said, how much more if you ask my father for the Holy Ghost, he'll give that to you. Everything you need is in the Holy Spirit. Because he is the reconnection to the government. The blood was a means to an end. Calvary was a means to an end. 
Calvary was to wash you, to make you holy, so that the Holy Spirit, the government connection, could get back in you. That's why Christ could not give them the Holy Ghost to live in them until after he had died and rose again and the blood was shed. The Bible says sometimes, twice, the Bible says he, he gave them power to go out and cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, and preach the kingdom. He says he gave them little authority. He says go, and he put some stuff on them, you see. And guess what happened? They went out, and what happened? The Bible says they cast out demons, they raised the dead, they healed the sick, and they came back excited, and they says, Master, we healed the sick, we raised the dead. He says, I know. He says, great. And he began to rejoice with them. Why? He said, you see how it feels? See what you all missed? He said, you guys got a little taste of your future. You got a little taste of your past. This is what Adam used to do, man. Adam was in charge of everything, controlled everything. You got a little taste of it. He rejoiced with them. Then he says, the time is coming when the kingdom of God that is with you shall be in you. So what does he do? He goes to the cross, sheds his blood to remit your sins, to make you holy. He went to hell and got the keys of death out of the grave. So you wanted to be afraid of death and death can't hold you down no more because you got work to do. And then he rose again and declared, all authority is now given unto me in heaven, in earth, under the earth. Now I got it back. And the Bible says he, he pulled them to him and he breathed on. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And Paul understood it. Paul says, my God, the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink and big cars and big houses and fancy dress and nice suits. Even the kingdom of God is love, joy, and peace. Where? In the Holy Ghost. Lift your hands. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Tell the Holy Ghost, operate in you this week. Come on, praise him. Just thank him for a second. Tell him to rule your territory through you this week. Your job, your house, the place that you work, the place that you are in charge of. Let the Holy Ghost take charge through you. That's kingdom. It's kingdom. When you walk into a board meeting, you ain't no normal member of the board. See, that's your problem. You think you're just a Christian. That's like, I ain't no Christian on the board. Leave me alone. I used to be a Christian. I am now an ambassador, and you all are privileged to have me sit in this room. Because now I represent a government, and I'm only concerned about my government's interests in this meeting. Do you know that an ambassador never, ever gives his opinion? Did you know that? It is illegal for an ambassador to give his opinion. See, but you see, we, we, we're too religious. We keep giving our opinions. We're not ambassadors. An ambassador will never say, look at my lips, you will never hear, study all the ambassadors, all the world, 189 countries, not a one of the ambassadors will ever say, I think. Never. It's diplomatic courtesy 
and legal policy for an ambassador to always say, my government's position is. And that's what God calls you, an ambassador. So if someone asks you to do something that goes against the constitution of your country, this book called the Bible, if they even suggest you do something against the government policy, you don't have to give them your opinion. You're looking for an argument when you give your opinion. You're supposed to say, uh, my government's position is that this is wrong. Well, what do you think about adultery? I don't think about it. But my government's position is, it is sin. Yeah, but, but, but the Lord know how tough... Hey, 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 you asked me for my statement. I don't represent myself. That's what's wrong with most of us. We go to work representing ourselves. Well, what do you think about homosexuality? Well, you know, what I think about it really doesn't matter because I'm an ambassador. But my government position is, based on the Constitution, it's abomination. I don't want no excuse for that. I can't explain. If you want to argue with me, go talk to the government. Come on, clap, man. Y'all get the thing. We always talking about trying to argue and discuss the thing. I ain't discussing nothing. You're an ambassador. Christians row. <laughs> Ambassadors will never... Check ambassador, they never get into a row. You'll never read in the papers where an ambassador rowed another ambassador. You ever seen it? No. Why? Their statements are already prescribed. They come to the country with their orders already. What do you think that book is in your lap? You know why Jesus was so successful on earth? I figured out his secret. He was an ambassador. Jesus said, I speak nothing of myself. That means I don't talk for myself. I only say what I hear the government say. Come on, praise the Lord. The guy was cool, man. He said, so if you got a problem with my words, talk to my father. He that rejects my word, rejects my father's word. Because I only say what I hear my father say. When are we going to learn this? We got to stop being Christians. We're in a kingdom. Let me wrap this up here real quick. Y'all getting blessed this morning. I'm blessing myself. Let me tell you what, I, what an ambassadorship does. It takes the pressure off. Don't you feel the pressure getting off? Or do you keep just, just blame everything on the government? Just blame it on the government. Just blame it on the government, you see? Just blame it on the government. Praise God. What I like about ambassadors too is that ambassadors don't owe no, nobody. Nothing. Y'all slow, man. Before a person is an ambassador, they in debt. They owe all kind of people money. But the minute you are an appointed an ambassador, the government pays all your bills. 
the government cancels all of your, your, your debts. They take of everything. They pay all your, 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 your obligations. They, they cancel. Why? Because they don't want you to think about nothing except the government's desires. So the disciples started worrying what we will eat, what are we going to drink, what are we going to wear. And Christ says in Matthew 6, hey, you guys are ambassadors. Seek ye first the government of God and all of its interests and all these things, they come with the job. Christians worry. Ambassador's sleep. He gave it his beloved sleep. Ooh, just a couple more seconds. Got to give you the sweet one. You know why your prayer life ain't working? You're praying as a Christian. You are not supposed to be praying for things. Why? These things are added. They come with a job. What you're supposed to pray for is, what is God's will? What does God want done in this situation? What is my government's interest in this situation? If you handle the, the government's business, the governor take care of yours. Is that what Jesus was saying? So when a need comes up, a bill comes, you look at it and say, okay, government, take care of that. And then go to sleep. I'm serious about this. Look at it and say, Lord, right now, I ain't got it. Your government got it. Take care of that. I am your ambassador, and you will not make your ambassador a disgrace in the midst of this foreign land. Then go to bed. That's faith. I said, that's faith. Faith comes from what? Understanding your position as an ambassador. An ambassador understands these words of here of kingdom. Dominion means to govern, to rule, to control, to manage, to master, and to lead. And that means that every one of us here was born to be a king, a ruler, over a domain, a territory. And therefore, we supposed to have kingdom, kingdom, dominion, influence over everything in the earth for the King Jesus we serve. Therefore, God's goal is the kingdom of God on earth, not earth going to heaven. Selah. Say, La. Oh, Lord, you know my heart. Do you get it? Why do you want to go to heaven? The disciple says, teach us what to pray for. Pray means to ask God. He said, tell us what to ask God for, they said. How do we pray? What do we pray? He says, here's what to pray. Our Father, our government, who are not on earth, <laughs> but in heaven, your name is holy. We reverence your name. Then he said, pray this. Your kingdom come down here. Your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. He said, don't take heaven to earth. I mean, earth to heaven. He says, ask for heaven to come to earth. We keep praying the opposite. Oh, God, take us to heaven. God said, no, that's not the deal. The assignment is to get heaven on earth. So he said, pray for that. God wants you to go into business or to open up some agency or develop some product 
Because God wants the kingdom to come in that stuff. You need to take your investment, your business today, and put it before God and say, God, let your kingdom come through this. I want this to prosper for your name's sake. Your reputation will come through this business. <laughs> you want to pray for promotion? Don't pray for promotion for money. You don't pray for things. Say, Lord, let me get promoted in this company so that I can bring your influence at a higher level. Anybody here before we go home? Say, Lord, I want to go into government because I want your kingdom to come from the political arena. I want to flow down with your kingdom influence. <laughs> it has to do with the assignment. And so Jesus' assignment was very clear. The fall of mankind resulted in the instatement of a new kingdom and Christ came to destroy that kingdom. The Bible says in, John, in, in, uh, in the book of 1 John, it says, <laughs> Christ was manifested to destroy the kingdom of the devil. What's a kingdom? A domain, a rulership. By the way, uh, the word world in the Bible has nothing to do with earth. The word earth in the Greek is the word terra, terra. Uh, the word world in the Bible is the word cosmos. Two different words. Terra, earth, has to do with the physical dirt that we walk on, the, the earth, the plants. I mean, that's, that's the terra. But the world is the word cosmos, which means, ready for this, order of influence. The Bible says that we have an earth with two worlds. <laughs> he says, <laughs> be not conformed any longer to this world, that's the world, the order of Satan, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your repentant mind so that you will be in the world but not of that order. The world means government. You used to be in the world of the devil. So you used to operate for him. You was his representative. You were doing a good job messing up everybody else. Right, Sister Dan? I mean, you did a good job dancing in the casino. She was representing a government. But then the Holy Ghost came back into her life, and now she is representing the kingdom of God, and she's still influencing people. Stop being so religious and start having fun. <laughs> See, Captain, God made you a captain to be on them boats, sir, so you can bring his kingdom in the world of the marine world to influence those captains and those mates and those passengers. When they come, you tell them about God and tell them the ship can't go down. Why? I got angels keeping this up because I'm an ambassador. Your ship can't sink, Captain. But if you're a Christian, you're single, your ship going to sink. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Rediscovering the Kingdom series. For more information on this and other teachings of Miles Monroe, 
please visit Destiny Image online at www.destinyimage.com or visit Bahamas Faith Ministries online at www.bfmmm.com.